the Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cellcast. Joining me today is a man who uh, really needs to get that hole fixed in his robe. Welcome, Jacob. Jeez, man, you notice? We all notice. Jeez, man, that's embarrassing. Like, you could almost say you lost your marbles when that tore. Uh, but you let the cat out of the bag, man. Come on. Oh, well. Yeshirashira. Why, thank you. And let me use our co-host, a man who... Oh, let's just be frank. Be like he always wanted to go on Deep Space Nine. Welcome, Drew. You know, usually we only pull these from the from the movie. Yes. But you know, I'll go with that because I would have liked to go on exactly. Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah. So today we are reviewing the movie The Polar Express and the Star Trek Lower Decks episodes, Reflections, and Here All Trust Nothing, aka the Deep Space Nine episodes. Yes. <laughs> That's how most people, I think, know it at this point. Uh, So, yeah, Jacob, how are you doing? Man, I am doing very well. Uh, Me and my wonderful girlfriend, Ashley, uh, we went to, because I teased it up on our last episode, uh, that me and Ashley went to Brian College Station to Santa's Wonderland for, I think it was last Saturday. And that was an interesting experience because... Uh, for all my understanding, it was simply going to be trail rides and hay rides and all this good stuff. I didn't expect it to be a a, um, a Western theme. Now, to my understanding, sometimes... It is Texas. It is Texas. I agree with you. I, what I understand from talking with the people, sometimes they do change the theme. But that was interesting because you get you pull into the gate pulling again instantly everyone's wearing cowboy hats it's like interesting but it was great it was it was a lot of walking a lot of walking uh it was fairly expensive thank you miss colleen for buying that is a early christmas present for me and ashley um but oh but um but yeah, just be like I am. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I got to hang out with a uh, a cousin of mine. Uh, we met her in College Station. We had breakfast with her, and then we went to all Aldi's, not Aldi's, um, Costco. We went to Costco, which that's one of Ashley's favorite places to go. Go to go to go into Costco. I know I'm throwing all the stuff out. Whatever. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Uh, this week's been interesting. Uh, so far, we're at the end of the week. Obviously, so we had to shift uh, uh, time period, the, our days and times which we're recording, mm-hmm. uh, which now we're recording on Fridays, which is totally fine. And yeah, it's been pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, me and Ashley are going to do a horse-drawn carriage ride in Tyler. And possibly go see It's a Wonderful Life in color in an old theater. Ooh, color? In color. Really? Yeah, it's it's the only time we could we could actually, you know, arrange. It the must movie, be that, interesting to see the movie in color. Never seen it in color. 
that movie's going to be better in black and white. I'm I would sorry. I would agree with you there. It's how it's meant to be seen. But you know what? If that's the only way y'all could have gotten to see it, exactly. I, I I get it. And plus, in theater, be like that's just that's just that's just icing on the icing on the icing on the cake. Right. So yeah, that's how my weekends go. Uh, I've got a family Christmas coming up next or not. This weekend, but next weekend, and then obviously we have Christmas the the uh, the weekend after that, and yeah, Christmas is on Sunday this year, right? Yes, yes, it is on Sunday. So that's all I've been doing. What have you been doing? What well, have you been doing? Since I did not get to go to Bryan College Station, I actually got to go to our singles Christmas party. Yeah, how did that go? Uh, it went it went pretty well. We had a good time. There wasn't as many of us that are there as usual though ironically we were out of town well yes but even then we had a smaller number i think yeah. than usual though ironically we did have two empty seats at our table at the restaurant so we said those were yours ah well thank Here's you an Ashley's. including it wasn't intended but that's how it worked out that was hysterical so yeah uh i ended the present i brought since you weren't there to see it mm. was a yodeling pickle Okay, explain that. It is essentially a plastic pickle mm -hmm. that you put batteries into, and when you press the button, it plays a, a yodel. And you want to know the funny part about this? This is already funny, but continue. It's been sitting right on the other side of this board since July. <laughs> well, it was hiding it from you so you wouldn't accidentally see it. But apparently, I didn't need to worry about that. Apparently not. And granted, I, when I started hiding, I didn't know you were going anywhere. And I don't right. think you or even Miss Colleen, when she bought you the tickets, knew what exactly what weekend that was in comparison with all the other plans. So, right. But that's cool. And uh, I ended up getting a spider. A spider? A it's, a. it's a plastic one about the size of my hand. Oh, fun. I don't know why has he put that decided to wrap that up. That sounds like Hezekiah. And but uh it was one of those things where I I walked up to it and I saw one was wrapped in duct tape, green fluorescent green duct tape. Mm -hmm. And I thought someone's after my own heart cuz I think I've wrapped gifts recently in duct tape. I didn't this time, but yeah. and so I opened it up and go, "Huh. That's a spider." <laughs> why okay moving on <laughs> oh no one stole it from me but mm. my pickle did get froze out oh fun that's always fun yes don got it first oh <laughs> and then nani stole it from him and then you stole it from her no i didn't steal it. i don't have it oh that's right you brought it that's right 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 i can't Use remember right here jacob i can't remember the name of the lady who got it uh oh. the one that's got the cane oh uh um, think of her name i just saw her today this is terrible i apologize well, if you're listening right i don't know if she is but she's the one who ended up with the pickle got it and i had it even in a best made pickle jar clever clever mon clever mon yeah so yeah uh, also, uh, Tuesday, mm. our normal recording night, yes, our old recording night, I should say, yeah. At ten o'clock, I was on the Culture Box uh, discussion thing that mm. we had started doing, which 
I'm going to ask for a, your apology for my I'm going to give you my apology now for not Ruh-roh. telling you about it. Oh yeah, I saw that. I was like, you traitor! I didn't mean to. <laughs> it was one of those things where it slipped my mind to let you know we were doing this thing, right? Because I think it rested in my mind as, oh, I'm guest hosting somewhere. Jacob does. Jacob had told me I didn't need to worry about making, uh, getting him involved in every guest up thing I'm in. True. So I think that's where it sat in my head. Right. And I forgot to tell you, despite the fact you had just as much right of being there as I did. But uh, yeah, we had a good discussion. I was good. Not sure where that ended up. I think I still need to download it to put it on our YouTube channel for my part for, for our people so when that becomes available go take a look at that hmm. we talked about a couple of interesting topics nice but um i'm sure by now it's on one of the, either retros or geek devotions is one but right anyway uh also well last friday and saturday was super busy because i also guested on another podcast really saturday morning hmm. It was not a live recording, uh. and the episode is not out yet. Uh. But I apparently, you remember how I mentioned last week I watched some Common Writer? Yeah, you did. I did that because ah. I'm guest hosting for five episodes for the end of Henshin Men, which is you know that one that uh, Nathan of yeah. the Monster on Film Vault mm-hmm. does. Yes, and I'm helping him finish that out by being his temp guest host for the last five not uh, the last five episodes because the last episode he is going to have the the original co-host back on for as far as our knowledge is but uh yeah okay i get to talk about a 70s tokusatsu show that makes you go what were these people on <laughs> no it's not like that it's just it's just a it's it's power rangers with that with a less technology into the making of it oh, okay. a lot more practical i know that's weird saying talking about mighty morphin and it's not, not have being practical but there's yeah. a difference in the filmmaking from the 90s as there would be in the 70s right and there is a difference okay anyway Hmm. It's a it will, it'll be a fun episode when that comes out, and I've got four more to do. I'm not sure when I'm recording those, oh, but okay. gotcha. Uh, so I, I was on that, and I think that's about all of it. Other than I'm getting set up on another D and D uh session, nice because I did not realize the group I was with before was going to continue, and by the time I did, I had already found another group. So we did a little bit of a session zero to kind of get everything set up where we are, but that's all that's going good. Uh, other than that, I think that's about it. So Jacob, I've got a, another, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. What have you been watching? All right. Uh, so what I've been watching. Uh, so I have this tendency of watching reviews because I, I like watching movie reviews or watching movies in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched the certain, it's a, uh, you pull up, right? Uh, Oliver Harper. Oliver Harper's uh, retrospective reviews. It's on YouTube. You can go check him out. Uh, he, does, he does primary like action movies from the 80s and 90s and 2000s mm-hmm. and it reviews modern films. And uh, 
so I was just watching his stuff because I just really find his re- his review very interesting and very insightful because he dives deep into these films, like the production and like script and everything. And be like, I just find it very fascinating. And he's a really, really good YouTuber. He's a really, really good YouTuber when it comes to reviewing films. Um, so he started doing a review over an, a 90s film called Universal Soldier. Okay. And I remember hearing about this. It has Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, and which, if you're a 90s kid, you probably heard of, heard of these two. Um, You've probably heard of the movie, even if you've never seen it. Exactly. I'd never seen this movie before. So I I watched the film. I, I watched I watched his review of it, and I was like, you know what? Because he keeps talking about how uh, Dolph Lundgren is this as an actor in this film. He like portrays him very well as a uh, as a villain, and it's like you know what? I've I have access to HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna sit down and watch this, and sure enough, be like the movie is not very good. It isn't. I'll be honest, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's very much a 90s slock movie, uh, but it's directed by Emmerich. Come on, think. Roland, Roland Emmerich. Emmerich. He's it's directed by Roland Emmerich. It's one of his very early films. Before all of his Emmerichisms were in place. Yeah. Well, it's not an end of the world disaster movie. Uh so With I a watched... cast of a thousand. Yeah. So I watched it and I was like, you know what? This is not bad. Uh, like Duff Lagerin's performance as the villain is like, he's actually very good when he's a villain. It's good. He's got good comedic timing when it comes to it. And he's actually intimidating as a be like, besides like masters of the universe where it's just like, seriously, <laughs> like I, I understand like, Dolph Lundgren became a better actor later on in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Universal Soldier was probably one of his best performances early on. Definitely as a villain. And I think it would be more beneficial if he was a villain in more films. But like watching it, it was like, and then you have Jean-Claude Van Damme. This guy, oh my gosh, his performance was so wooden. So wooden. But his the, the the way he this is so interesting hearing myself feedback i'm not intending to do I know that. this i know this i know you're not but it's funny but um the way be like because in the movie itself jean-claude van damme is a man he has amnesia he's learning to be was he was uh back you know back in the day before he got put on ice and you know he was dead and reprogrammed as a soldier like a soup, like a super soldier, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's learning to be human again, and uh, he doesn't talk a lot through this film, but he has some very interesting expressions when he's when he's trying when like there's one scene where they're in a cafe. This is obviously before a big fight breaks out, so he's sitting there and food's just getting piled and piled up. He's just gobbling away, and uh, the waitress walks up. It's like, like enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. They're like, how are you gonna eat it? And all it is, is scoop up some potato and keep eating. It was hysterical. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's like some actors be like, they're not very good actors. I'm just gonna say that Jean Claude Van Damme is not a very good actor. Now, 
Now, for some, might be some people like, hey, I'm here, I'm here to listen or watch uh, anime movies. Why are we ranting on and on about it? A live action movie. I'll get to that. But, but like, it was an interesting film. I, I, I supposed uh, to have been the only film you watched this week. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Um, that's actually what was going through my mind. <laughs> so I finished watching it. it. Like, it's, it's a good, slocky, you know, popcorn muncher kind of film. It's interesting. Dolph Lundgren's performance is, you know, very, it is fun to watch. It is a fun, like, it's not a great movie, but it's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of Rolling Emmerich, the the next film I watched was Stargate, which was, again, one of his early films. And that one, uh, there again, I'd also watched Oliver's review on that. I was like, that's interesting, because I remember watching this as a kid. And uh, it's a good story it's a good story it's got a lot of really good elements to it and no wonder they turned it into a tv show because this sucker was good mm-hmm. uh i'm about 20 i'll be like i literally i was literally 20 minutes before the end of the movie maybe like 15 before i had to come over here so i'm planning on finishing it but that was an interesting movie. That was fun. That was a fun movie. It had a good story, good beat, the whole enchilada. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, so going into what I have listened to recently. Uh, so on the way to Santa's Wonderland in Brian Call Station. Ashley has been be like she's flipping through like what she's listened to podcast wise and it's like most of it's true crime which is not a shocker to anybody uh who knows ashley and then she turns on pod meets world are you familiar with this one no but i can make a couple guesses what this show is about with a name like pod meets world yeah what do you think it's about a certain show that aired on tgif back in the 90s and it's possible disney channel a sequel yeah, Boy Meets World. Yeah, so it has three of the original actors, the original uh, actors who have gone on to do more more things, including one who Girl Meets World, that uh, Girl Meets World, and also one who uh, voiced the bat, voiced the cat, and a bunch of other stuff, <laughs> or Batman and Beyond, but nuance. Uh, so we listened to the, we listened to like one episode. It was like episode twenty episode 2022 whatever but that was interesting it's very interesting it's it's wonderful to hear insight from an actor mm-hmm. definitely if they're they were a child actor back then because they were like 12 years old when they were when they were cast for boy meets world back in 1993 i think but it was so insightful listening to them talk about you know what happened behind the scenes and their recollections and their it's like Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it was so much fun. Well, we, we listened to like two episodes and it's like, you know what? I didn't get around it this week, but the plan is I'm going to start watching Boy Meets Worlds on Disney Plus. That's where it is. Because obviously. And, you know, just start start from episode one, pilot, to its completion, which I think it's like seven episodes or seven. It's more than seven episodes. No, it's more it's, than seven episodes. It actually got picked up more and more. That's yeah. why it's a popular series. Uh, they had to keep finding excuses to keep Mr. Feeney involved. That is true. Oh, Mr. Feeney. Oh, Mr. Feeney. <laughs> but 
yeah, it was, I'd be like, it's good if you are a, a fan of Boy Meets World. You get to hear very colorful insight or colorful commentary from uh, original actors from the show. And they bring on special guests. And they actually bring on the actor who played Mr. Feeney at one point, which I haven't got to yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So other than like uh, a negotiation podcast she listens to, which was very interesting. I can't remember what it was, but I'll bring it back. Uh, if I remember to, I will bring it up next week so that you guys who love to listen to podcasts, there's another podcast for you. So Pod Meets World. Uh, the one with the with three hosts instead of just one, because apparently there are two of these out there with the exact same logo. With the exact logo. I don't know how they did this. Well, I mean, if they're basing it off of the original show's logo. It's not hard. I can see. Yeah. But that is all I've been watching and listening to. What about you, Drew? Well, along with the newest episodes of Spy Family, which finally we're getting back to some some goodness. Mm -hmm. Some uh, actual... So, so what I figured out is I actually read some of the uh, more, some more of the manga mm-hmm. since then is that of the manga books one through four are pretty much all based around arcs, hmm. whereas book five you kind of get the feeling that the author may have been not entirely sure where he was going next with the story. That can happen. So he has a like every single one of the chapters in that one is mm-hmm. like little short stories yeah. about to get them from you know where they were to where they decided to go, and that took up about five episodes of the anime. Okay, and those and all those five episodes were were had these A stories and B stories that they just literally is like you know how on Cartoon Network they have two episodes in one episode, yeah. Basically, that's what they did here, except they were both labeled as, you know, whatever their main episode number was. So, and that was true up until this last episode where they finally got back into the full episode being a arc of the last two episodes where they finally started getting into an arc in the story. Okay. And this is dealing with a woman who works for the same spy group as Twilight does. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Lloyd? Yeah. Who may have been too busy when the time came to actually be able to, with, you know, her own missions, to be able to take over as Lloyd's wife Hmm. for, you know, Operation Strix, the actual spy mission, the the long-range spy mission that Lloyd is on that caused him to have to get Anya and Mm -hmm. um, Yor. And, uh... She has one heck of a crush on Twilight. Mm. And so she is is trying to prove her love. And she is a much worthy person to play his wife than yours is by getting involved a little too much. Okay. And they got uh, paired together on this last episode with a mission mm. uh, to take down they were trying to find a, a piece of artwork that had some uh had some had some information that was stored in it that was been 
that if, if it came to light would have caused the war to break back out again, uh, basically. Gotcha. And the only way they can get it, which by the way, this technically this uh, arc will finish. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going after this episode. They had to get involved in a, and I'm not kidding with this term underground tennis tournament. Interesting. Because betting is apparently illegal in Astania and that is apparently the sport of choice in betting is tennis of all things. (laughs) And I like how their cover name, their cover names for this mission, their last name was phony. So they were Mr. And Mrs. Phony. Interesting. (laughs) Which was funny to me, but uh, yeah, it was a fun episode. Uh, Do highly suggest that Uh, I did try another episode of a show called, uh, I'm the villainous, so I'm taming the final boss at the suggestion of my good buddy Chase. Oh. It's a, it is an isekai show, mm-hmm. and it follows, but it's actually got a lot of heart to it, believe it or not. Really? So I'm going to continue trying to watch it because I think it's kind of fun. And uh, outside of you know the stuff for the show tonight, the only other things I've watched this week is the mystery science theater 3000 episode santa claus conquers the martians huh which was a 1950 1960s era sci-fi comedy okay movie that was done on the cheap okay the super cheap Mm. it's not a very good movie okay but what brought it to mind is that it was in the Star Wars holiday, uh, Star Wars, the Galaxy, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, okay. Which is what made me think of it and made look at it as oh, it's free on Amazon Prime. Uh, the Mystery Science Theater episode uh, where they riff on it. I'll give that a shot. And I've got and I finished it. It's a fun little movie. But other than that, that's and a couple of YouTube things here and there. That's about all I've watched. Oh, okay. But I did start up a new game. Ah, what is your, what is it? Pokemon Violet. Oh, okay. Is and that is that one of the new ones? Is the one that came out like within the last uh, month? Okay, yeah, yeah. And if you've been hearing the reports of the performance issues with the game, I can verify them. Hmm. There are performance issues. <laughs> there are. There is. Uh, uh, let me put it to you this way. Uh, the new get one of the new gimmicks in this one is mm. that you can do what they call testralizing on your Pokemon, yeah. which causes you can only do it like once per trip to the Poke, Pokemon Center to heal. Yeah. And um, it pretty much puts this kind of crystalline effect on your Pokemon, and you get to do this all your attacks get like a, a, a very big boost. Okay. Pretty much. Uh, the problem is when you do this effect, when you do this at night, Against another Pokemon that's doing the same effect, the screen looks like it's there is it's going it's having issues. You know how if you see a, a really bad, uh, like like on these new digital televisions when they start glitching out and sometimes things will hang weird and mm-hmm. like you ever seen a broken TV? Yeah, the broken flat screens when people you know, threw their Wii remote at the screen or whatever. Yeah. 
that's what it kind of looks like, but not completely. Because hmm. it looks like it's messing up kind of that much, but it's just because of how this effect is combined. These two, these two different effects are affecting each other, plus the grass in front of you that's been slightly faded to make it easier to see what you're doing, which also gives it kind of a checkerboardish transparent effect got it all of those three things combined make your screen look like hot garbage mm. pokemon needs to fix their stuff which they're probably <laughs> going to put a patch in at some point that's the thing they put in a patch on december 1st it did not fix the problems Ooh. they all it did was they made sure some stuff would work on the tournaments that they were setting up come on it started Nintendo. season one of their tournaments yeah so yeah, there's another thing it is because uh, the Wave 3 of the Mario Kart 8 Booster Course packs yeah. released this week, and we got a surprise in that, in that e even if you don't have the Booster Course Pass thing, you we, uh, everyone got a patch hmm. to uh, put in a new feature. The hmm. first new feature they've implemented in this game, and besides the new courses, obviously, for, in the last three years. Hmm. They allow you to actually in in multiplayer uh, versus races you can actually pick what items will show up in the item boxes okay so previously you can just do the classic uh set or frantic which would make like the the really the really good items kind of show up more often mm -hmm. in the higher ranks now you can just pick whatever you want including if you are weird like me all blue shells oh yeah let me put it to you this way 200 cc baby park blue shell only that is a special kind of chaos because half the time you don't even really know if you're in first normally because of how short the track is and yeah. how chaotic it is you have to keep the only way you know you're in first is by looking at the placement number there on the bottom of your screen but when you're in the middle of a race you're too busy trying to do that so the only way now you know if you're in first place is if you are getting constantly pummeled with blue shells. <laughs> it was, believe it or not, fun, yep. but it was fun in the way it's like, I'm never going to win, and I don't care. I'm just kind of letting it go and having fun at this point. And I was just playing by myself. Okay. It was, because after a while, you know, you get hit by two or three of these things, all of a sudden you've got invincibility frames for a couple minutes because they're trying to be fair to you mm -hmm. so you can maybe get moving again. And it's still still pummeling you over and over again. <laughs> nice. Until someone else finally moves into first place, and then they start pummeling that one because that's all anyone's getting is blue shells. And they fight. And the way the AI is set up, they fire them as soon as they get them. <laughs> I still need to do this on a live setting. Yes. But uh, yeah, we we might have to do that someday on our uh, Twitch Sunday. Maybe. Maybe. That would be fun. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much what I've been watching and playing. All right. Uh, so yeah, uh, what do we got in the news? The Cellcast News with your host Jacob Heron. Why, thank you, Dlit. And today's news, there's not a whole lot of news today or this week. Uh, we know that Disney's Strange World is doing terrible in theaters. Which uh, pretty much means we're not going to watch it until it's out on Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it is doing, it is projected to do under, I think right now it's like 30, 36, $45 million in tw- it's for 12 days. That is terrible. And experts are projecting this is a, this is a downward trend for Disney. Like I even read one article where it was uh, Universal is beating Disney. Like Disney is losing mi- hundreds of millions of dollars in, in revenue because their movies are tanking and that's uh, what happens when you focus on uh speechifying and uh lecturing instead of story exactly story has to be first exactly i I think disney is kind of straight away from what i'm not gonna say what 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 would do yeah but what disney was doing in the 90s and the the early to mid 2000s with movies that were story driven and now they're trying to just more push agendas and that kind of stuff and their movies are not doing well in theaters right now and so either disney has to do a course correction or b they're going to get their their animation department's going to sink yeah just bear in mind they didn't put stuff out in theaters like turning red Mm -hmm. because assumingly they didn't know how well it was going to perform yeah but they put this out yeah apparently not caring how it was going to perform because i know they knew it was not going to be very it wasn't going to be perceived well because let's face it we didn't hear anything about this movie at all until july of this year pretty much and then no actual pushing of this yeah movie yeah they they i didn't even see when it came out yeah because for It'd be like you listen to our show quite a bit and so we have gone on the rant about how they've treated pixar because pixar right. they've had three films that did not go to theaters they put Lightyear in theaters and it tanked it tanked and then you have strange world which is tanking, tanking. again but at the same time disney did put out ryan the last dragon which we liked. Yeah, we liked. It didn't do well in theaters. Right, but because... we liked. And they put out Encanto, which everyone liked. Yeah, everybody loved Encanto. But Pixar, between Onward and Lightyear, got had had Soul, uh, Luca, and Turning Red, Red come out mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. Yeah, despite the fact they should have. Gone... Granted, Soul couldn't have. That was just the wrong time for anything really to get put into theaters. Yeah, that was the middle of the pandemic. Luca was a weird kind of movie that may probably not have done well in theaters at the time. Possibly. Grant, Turning Red, I think, would have been, it would not have been frozen levels of uh, Break the Bank, but I think it would have done pretty well in theaters. Yeah. What it was. It it would have certainly done better than stuff like uh, The Good Dinosaur, which, despite it being that being a movie I like, I I know this didn't perform well. Right. They kind of skipped over those for different reasons, but mm-hmm. there was. But then they put out something like this. Admittedly, we're past the pandemic for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not. It doesn't look like we're heading near any lockdowns at any time. Right. The uh, theaters have finally fully rebounded back from what mm-hmm. they were, you know, back in 2020. Amen to that. And not everything Disney is going to put out is going to be gold any more than everything DreamWorks is going to put out is gold or Illumination or whomever. Yeah. But I do have to wonder if what they were thinking 
putting out something when they knew this was going to be bad why go ahead and put it in theaters because at this point unless they have some deal now with the movie theater companies that has not been broadcast Mm -hmm. to everybody it would make more sense for this to have gone straight to disney plus yeah and they put it out in theaters to let it tank in public that's possible but i don't know and like i said i I assume they may have a deal to try to help uh ease uh theater owners Mm -hmm. fears so that they'll know that they're still getting movies out but i don't know but there again be like we're we're looking at an era where in 2020 the pandemic came around and shut down theaters yeah and then you have the the birth of the the streaming platforms or the the uh what's the idea of day and date Huh? Yeah, day and date streaming. Yeah, day and date streaming. Which now they're trying to get back off of after Warner because of how much trouble Warner Brothers got in. True. Which did not help HBO Max's numbers. No. Which is probably why they're canceling everything again. Ugh. But it's it it seems like Disney is on a downward spiral when it comes to their uh animated theatrical releases. And experts were saying that they need to do a course correct. They need to possibly go back to more of their roots when it comes to storytelling. And uh as in actually do storytelling. Yeah. Which there again, I have not seen Yeah, um, I haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen so, it yet. So I have again, I know I've no I, I only barely know what it's about. Yeah. And I'd be like honestly be like if you be like, you know, political people are tearing this movie left and right, left and right, but whoever. We but, we don't bring up politics here because we believe that politics is made up of two words poly meaning many and ticks being blood sucking creatures sure and that just and they just suck the fun politics just sucks the fun exactly. out of everything exactly exactly so and plus half the time these people don't watch the movie anyway so there exactly but either way strange world is thinking that stinks let's move on <laughs> exactly so far as i understand that's all i have in the news unless you know you forgot something that happened last night Oh yeah, the Game Awards. Yes, the Game Awards. The Game Awards right. were last night, mm-hmm. and at about the three quarter mark of mm-hmm. the Game Awards, they showed a they had a Keegan Michael Key, who's mm-hmm. playing Toad in the movie, That's come right. out and introduce this segment, and it is a scene from the movie mm-hmm. of Mario, uh, either he's either coming to the Mushroom Kingdom for the first time, or either way, Toad is bringing him through the Mushroom Kingdom to get to the princess's castle. Mm-hmm to meet with her for at the moment reasons unknown yeah exactly and so we get this it's we do actually get some uh lines from chris pratt as mario which which honestly to me i think he sounds really good he is sounding better and he is still definitely using a more of a chris pratt voice than what charles martinet was doing granted but uh i do think he is sounding better uh i did like though a ton of the stuff that you see in the background all the easter eggs all the easter eggs uh go you if you're if you want to see all the easter eggs game explain has a video where they hit every single one of them but they had like at one point they go past an antique shop yeah and you can see like the dragon coins from super mario world oh different power-ups from like super mario 3 Mm -hmm. uh different things of that like that the uh you can uh, he uses a clear pipe from super mario 3d world you can actually see a crazy cap shop from super mario odyssey in there 
they are pulling out all the stops with this i got you so just just before that be like if you be like go watch the trailer yeah. first and then go watch you know people go and dissect these things beyond belief you definitely go watch a greater understanding definitely go watch the scene it's it's good but yeah it's, yeah it's fun there's a lot of cool little things in there and i do and i am more and more liking what i am seeing mm. i now, do too granted till we actually see the movie who knows yeah exactly but We're, i am liking more and more what i'm seeing here uh i actually feel more comfortable with this than i think i was comfortable with sonic the hedgehog when it was coming out Ooh, that's interesting because sonic so well, admittedly with sonic the hedgehog i was slightly worried what they were going to do with his model after that very first trailer oh gosh yeah cringy sonic and I, at that point, I was just like, I just need to see this in a theater once they get it fixed, mm-hmm. and I don't need to watch any of the rest of it. And they, and Sonic pulled, they pulled it out with Sonic. Yeah, I'm just Mario. I'm feeling a lot better about it because every performance we've heard so far, I've liked. Mm-hmm. They are, while there are some changes to the plot, you have to remember this is Mario. There is no continuity. That's right. And plus, it's an adaptation. <laughs> and it's it's an adaptation, and it's not got a big continuity to adapt from because every game is different. Mm-hmm. They literally make the game, uh, make changes to the universe to fit whatever game they're making this time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we're even getting references to this past stuff is a gift in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, oh, and the, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of the score for this because we did get a nice a uh, little bit of the super mario brothers theme yeah we did uh in this mm-hmm. played by an orchestra which sounded good it did sound good so yeah yeah there there again be like for for those to be like it's like well like i, I know i have a relative who doesn't like watching trailers because it's a spoiler but mm-hmm. be like there's also people out there be like oh i just want to listen to people's comp- commentary no go watch truly for yourself go watch the trailers have your own build your own opinion first and yeah then go and then go like listen to everybody's opinion that's my opinion that's my you, objection when it comes to trailers are well i think mine and your belief period is you need to form your own opinion about whatever exactly. it is that you're looking at and then listen to people's reviews yeah and then you then you have your own insight right. and that's like and you can join the conversation about this we, we should always be in the, the second part of the process because the first part is watching what we're talking about mm-hmm. now if you don't want to and you don't care that's your business but you don't exactly. get to complain when we say stuff you disagree with because you didn't watch it how would you know exactly anyway <laughs> and there again I, I guarantee there i'm fairly certain there's people out there who probably listen to us simply because they're like hey i want to listen to a fun time or b i want to listen to right. somebody talk about a movie that i might be interested in Right, which is why we have the spoiler-free section, which we'll be getting into in a minute. Exactly. So, so shall we move, make that transition? Exactly. Let's hop in a pipe and go to the next section. Certified fresh and spoiler-free. This is my third viewing, I believe, of the Polar Express. Really? The first time I saw it would have been around 2004, 2005, because mm-hmm. I did first see it on DVD, not in a theater. Huh. Uh, so I think it was closer to 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, may have been 2006, actually, for all I know. Mm. Um, but uh, I know I saw it again, like in 2011, 2012, somewhere mm. in there, and then this viewing. So 
I actually do like this movie. I have some tech. There are some technical hiccups that I did not understand what actually caused them until I was researching for our episode. Yeah. Because before I would have thrown it into uncanny Valley territory and just let it go with that. Yeah. Which all uncanny territory means is that part where the movement, either the movements are too good for the style of the characters uh-huh. or the characters are too realistic for the movement, the, yeah. the animation they're getting. Yeah. It's that little mishmash there. And I'll explain more of that when we get into uh trivia for gotcha. this movie. But uh, now that I have done the research, I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense as to what's actually causing the issues. Yeah. But when this movie is, actively showing like obviously scenes from the picture book but in animation within yeah. movement mm-hmm. it is downright gorgeous it is agreed uh, and it's got a good story in there i think that you can it's, actually i think it could be an allegory for salvation i agree in a was. way but other than that i it's a good movie it's a fun movie I think Tom Hanks has too many roles. Uh, besides green. that, it's, it's, a, it's well, a good Tom movie. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is a legend. But he has way too many roles in this movie. Oh, my God. And also, I'll get more into... Well, I'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? This is my first viewing of this film. Uh, I have heard of the Polar Express, and I've heard people say, don't watch this movie. This is a terrible movie. Be like, It goes way too uh, in the Uncanny Valley and i can definitely see their viewpoint after watching this uh watching this was like some points i'm like oh dear lord in heaven this is cringy but um i enjoy the story for what it is i think there's a little bit of a problem when it comes to the third act Mm -hmm. um there there are very good points like there's parts of the animation where it is just so gorgeous so incredibly good and then it turns and does something with an act with the character i'm like okay enough with that please please let's do something else i'm looking forward to hearing what that is here in a minute (laughs) but (laughs) excuse me uh cough going around either or um i enjoyed this movie for what it was uh yeah, I'll just go there. Be like, I enjoyed the movie what it was. All right. Well, then we need to jump into the uh, spoilers for this thing, which we'll do right on the other side of uh, th- these words from our sponsors. Is that what I call this? Mm-hmm. Intermission, either Intermission. way. This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the Culture Box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. This week, we suggest checking out Stunning and Brave, where each week hosts Chris Cowan of the Babylon Bee and Nate Henderson of some boring budgeting job confess their privilege, spotlight stunning social media posts, and fabricate outrage, all while keeping you super woke and enlightened. They will make you laugh. That's right. You have no choice. Check out Stunning and Brave at stunningandbrave.net. The Cellcast would like to thank the following patrons. 
Josh Adams, Ashley Ruiz, Book of Gaming, to get your name on the show, episodes, early access to the Cellcast Plus reviews and special art from Jacob, please donate to us on Patreon. The following is a spoiler-filled review for the movie The Polar Express. Listener discretion is advised. Before I get too far into this, IMDb, you need to clean up your page on the Polar Express. Because if you go to IMDb's full cast list for the Polar Express, it is next to impossible to figure out who is doing the Mm. acting, the voice acting, who is doing the motion capture, Mm -hmm. who is doing additional motion capture, and who's doing singing voices because they don't differentiate on the thing. Wow, you're not kidding. I had to use Wikipedia Mm. to figure out who was doing what job, which was real fun with one of our characters because it listed a different actress than IMDb did. Really? And I still don't know which one was which. So I had to just pick one. So let's go ahead and get into that. Yeah, let's do that. The Polar Express was written and directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also uh, d- directed Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Back to the Future trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's also written by William Broyles Jr., who uh, wrote uh, Apollo 13 and Castaway. Mm. And it is based on the book by Chris Van Alsberg. Do you know what other books that have been made into movies that he's written? No, what Zathura? Okay, and Jumanji. Oh, interesting. Just to put that out there, I got you. Getting into the cast, the voice of Hero Boy. Really, that's what they call him. Oh, wait till you hear the rest of these cast names. Uh, yeah, I've seen some of them. It's like, what in the world? But the voice of Cast Boy is Daryl Sabara, mm-hmm. who played Juni Cortez in Spy Kids. Okay. The younger brother. That's right. That's what I thought. Where Tom Hanks did the motion capture for Hero Boy. Really? Yeah. Because the original plan for this was that Tom Hanks would do the motion capture and voice work for every character. Okay. Actually, I I may be wrong on the voice work because of the one or two females in the cast. Yeah. But that was the original plan. That's for him to do all the voices too, but definitely do all the motion capture. And this is the only one he did just motion capture for. Really? Yes. Because he was also the voice and motion capture for Father, the Conductor, Hobo, the uh, the voice of the Scrooge, uh, actually the Scrooge Marionette, and Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Scrooge Marionette was motion captured despite the fact he was being controlled by the Hobo. That... Uh, yeah go for it <laughs> and he played sheriff woody pride in toy story of course nona gay was hero girl and she played z in the matrix reloaded hmm. there are a couple other people involved with hero girl's performance but because of the aforementioned strangeness between imdb and wikipedia it was hard to tell them who was who hmm. So my apologies to the actresses I did not include. Leslie Zemeckis played Sister Sarah and the mother. And in the quote-unquote animated movie Beowulf, yeah, 
you know, the one from like 2005, which came out around another around year this, after this one. Yeah. And was the first digital live action hybrid. Yeah. She played uh, a character named Ursa in that movie. Hmm. I'm probably going to put Beowulf on next year. Okay. Because we need to get it out of the way. That is true. <laughs> because I don't think it's bad enough to be a bad movie month movie. Mm. But it does need to be, we do need to get it out, get, get it done with. Eddie Deason was the voice of the of Know It All. He was probably he was most famous to me for playing Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory on Cartoon oh, Network. Gotcha. You probably know him better as Ned in Kim Possible. Oh. That's where I recognize his voice from. But you'll also recognize uh-huh. him as a character from War Games. That is, really? He's one of the nerds that they go and talk to there when they're trying to figure out who they accidentally Oh, call. okay. I got you. I got you. Gotcha. And his character's name was Malvin. Right. Wow. Yeah. Jimmy Bennett, who was the voice of Billy the Lonely Boy. Mm. Billy being the only character's name besides his sister that uh, only character on the train who got a name by the way that's right because they never got names yeah which was weird he played young james t kirk in star trek 2009 oh yeah the motion capture for him though was by peter scolari who played wayne selinski in honey i shrunk the kids the tv show wait there was a tv show yes and it was after um what's his name? Uh the actor who played Wayne Slinsky. Uh, he's also the he, he's, he's in a, Ghostbusters. The kid the guy in Ghostbusters, he's Dark Helmet and Spaceballs. Oh um, him. Yeah. Who just actor. recently got back into acting now yeah. that his kids are grown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel horrible not remembering this guy's name. Yeah, I probably all that was was, like this guy's name. What do you think? This was after he retired. Yeah. That that show happened. Oh, okay. Uh Andre. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, Michael Jeter, Hmm. who was the uh voice and the uh motion capture for the characters of Smokey and Steamer. Those were the uh, drivers of the train the engineer oh, and yeah, his, yeah, yeah. his assistant that was weird uh he was also the uh played percy in the movie open range okay and this was his final performance oh okay as he That's died after making he, his... he died before the movie was finished yes which is why andre saw gluzo did additional smoky and steamer voices yeah when they needed it and he played sideswipe in Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Hmm. Last but not least, we have Steven Tyler, the rock oh star. Oh my gosh, that cameo as an elf singer. Oh, elf singer. Oh, geez. did you know he was in Epic? Yes, he was. Yes. I remember that. He played uh, Nim Galoo. Yeah, that was a far better performance than this. <laughs> That's because. You can't blame this performance on Steve Tyler because his singing was fine. Oh, yeah, I agree. The song's fine. The animation was bad. Oh, my gosh. That was the worst character model in the whole movie. And and that's because all the elves looked like horrible, strange abominations anyway in this movie. And then Steven Tyler having a real... Steven Tyler's character having a real face on him Mm. made it even worse. Oh, my gosh. 
Kingdom Hearts connections. Really? Yes. Jimmy Bennett, who was the uh, voice of Benny, Billy the Lonely Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Kingdom Hearts, he voices Rue. Hmm. The uh, the the uh, baby kangaroo, not baby, the, the kid kangaroo in yeah. the Winnie the Pooh levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Andre, Andre Sogluzo, who mm-hmm. was the additional voices of Smokey and Steamer, he played a deep space patrolman in Kingdom Hearts in, during the Stitch level. Yeah. On Birth by Sleep. Yeah. And that's what I've got in cast list. So what do we got in info and stuff? All right. IMDb. It has a 6.6 6, 6 out of 10. Watch. You can be able to watch it on HBO Max. Production. There's quite a few production houses going on here. Part of the problem. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Castle Rock Entertainment. Uh, Shingir Lee Entertainment. Uh, Imagine Mover. Image Movers. Playtone and golden means productions in other words all the production companies related to people who are heavily involved in the making of this film true because they all have their own production companies including tom hanks Mm -hmm. fun yeah always fun too too many too many hands in the pot part of the issues exactly uh distributed by warner brothers uh you know what? I forgot one part of it, but uh, originally it was released on October 20, October 13, 2004 at the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, it opened um, in the United States, Canada on November 14th of the same year. So it had an estimated budget of $165 million. There again, 2004. 2004 this was the the era which be like there again like drew said earlier beowulf would come out the year later and this was like the 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 this was the golden this is the real push of motion capture Mm -hmm. in animation after uh gollum in lord of the rings Mm -hmm. once andy circus really pushed that Mm -hmm. agreed but uh, there are differences though in how Gollum's animation was done versus this, but we'll get to that. Agreed. Uh so it's opening it's opening weekend. It made only 32.4 million dollars that first weekend. Not so hot. Uh it's it's US gross in Canada was 188.9 million dollars. Not very good domestically. Uh, worldwide, it did better with three hundred and fifty-one point two million dollars uh, globally. So it made its money back, kind of. Mm-hmm. So home release, the film was released. It probably in- made more of its money back with all the licensing deals to scenic railroads to turn their trains into Polar Expresses every year. That is true. Very, very true. All right, so home release. The film was released on DVD as separate widescreen and full screen version. There again, that was that time period. They would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in single and two disc special editions with bonus. And on DVD, on VHS in 2005. That would make this one of the last big VHS releases. Uh-huh. And it was that that same that same uh, 
that same time period that they were doing uh 3d conversions yeah and you can tell this was shot for three this was intended oh. to be seen in three days oh yeah and imax yes definitely imax i could see that because i remember like seeing this and be like this would be kind of fun to watch in theaters and there's a part of me that they the lord i didn't <laughs> we'll get to that <laughs> we'll get there when we get there yeah all right so going back at that uh it came on on vhs on november 22nd 2005 one year later the film originally came out in theaters which is weird they put it out a year later on vhs when they had it on dvd weird not really that weird like you said this was 2005 True. it was the v- vc vhs was was uh just at this point finally falling off yeah because D- and dvd was, was really starting to replace it yeah I, I remember because uh i visit one one the christmas of 2000 either 2000 or 2001 i don't remember which we had christmas at my cousin's house mm-hmm. they had just got a dvd player mm-hmm. and were showing off uh it was showing it to me showing off episode one of star wars oh nice on it i'm thinking yeah this looks cool but i mean in my at the time i was thinking this doesn't look that much better than vhs other than it looks cleaner mm-hmm. of course that was because i had been i had last time i'd watched the vhs of episode one was like when that vhs was still new and mm-hmm. hadn't been worn out yeah <laughs> problem with vhs they wore out right so yeah so yeah, VHS probably did not really cr- go away until like 2006, 2007, I think. True, that's very true. But also in 2000, I believe it was in 2007, they released it on the original widescreen, or hold on, back up. Uh, it was released on HD DVD. That mm-hmm. was the thing back then. Yeah, because then now you're getting into the format war between mm-hmm. HD DVD and Blu-ray. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with bonus features in 2006 and uh, Blu-ray with bonus features a year later in 2007. Because uh, 2006, but, uh, Warner Brothers was full on the HD mm-hmm. DVD train, that. where everyone else was on Blu-ray, and Warner Brothers was one of, I believe, the last of the major studios to make the switch yeah to blu-ray yeah which killed hd dvd mm-hmm. uh let's see uh both were presented in the original widescreen uh aspect radio ratio uh it was again re-released on 3d blu-ray and dvd october 2008 labeled the polar express presented in 3d yeah remember those people those were interesting was, times. Was this actually in theaters though in 3D? I think so. Because it looks like it was made for 3D, but it doesn't fit with my timetable of 3D. But then I don't remember when Avatar was. That's a Which good question. Really, what pushed 3D in the theater? In the theater, uh, that is true. That, and with Avatar got, two coming out, yeah, yeah, it's what got all the everyone to actually get real D 3D in there. Yeah. So uh, I will look that see. up. And the film was really released on Blu-ray 3D, 3D on November 16, 2010. So that is all I have for an info and stuff. 
Uh, it was released in IMAX 3D. That's what it was. Oh, okay. So IMAX did have 3D, that's but the real D 3D hadn't made it to the regular digital projectors yet because a lot of places still didn't have digital projectors yet. True. And true. that wouldn't be until Avatar, which was 2009. 2009. Okay. Because when the original Avatar came out. Yeah. Okay. That fixes that problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, info and uh, we just finished info and stuff. So now we need to get into the summary. Mm -hmm. On Christmas Eve, a passenger train known as the Polar Express stops at the, at the Grand Rapids, Michigan house of a boy who is growing skeptical about the existence of Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. The conductor says the train is traveling to the North Pole and the boy, though although reluctant at first, climbs aboard and meets a spirited girl and a know-it-all boy. The train then stops to pick up a boy named Billy, who initially declines to board, but changes his mind as the train is leaving. The boy applies the emergency brake, and Billy is allowed on, but opts to sit alone in the observation car. The children are then served hot chocolate by a platoon of waiters, and the girl saves a cup for Billy. When the conductor and the girl go to save Bill give Billy his cup, the boy notices that the girl's ticket has not yet been validated. The wind blows out his blows out the ticket into the wilderness but soon finds its way back on into the train after the girl discovers that her ticket is missing the conductor leaves with her uh the boy finds the ticket and traverses the rooftops of the train where he encounters a mysterious ghostly hobo that helps him reach the engine the boy finds that the girl has been put mm -hmm. in charge while the engineer and fireman are replacing the engine's headlight as this scene. while the train is moving I don't think that's how that works. No. As the train continues, it moves at an extreme speed due to the cotter pin shearing off. Mm -hmm. Once they reach a frozen lake, the cotter pin is replaced and the driver narrowly gets the train back onto the tracks as the ice breaks. The conductor takes the boy and girl back to their seats and they join Billy in the observation car. The train arrives at the North Pole where the conductor announces that one of the children will be chosen to receive the first gift of Christmas from Santa himself. Mm. While the girl and boy are trying to convince Billy to join them, the boy accidentally uncouples the car, sending it hurtling along a route towards a railway turntable deep inside Santa's workshop. The children make their way through an elf command center and gift sorting office facility where Billy finds a present with his name on it. They are dumped into a giant sack of presents where they also find the know-it-all boy. After the sack is loaded onto Santa's sleigh, the elves escort them out before Santa and his reindeer arrive. A bell flies loose from the galloping reindeer's reins. The boy initially cannot hear it ring until he finds it within himself to believe. He returns the bell to Santa, who selects him to receive the first gift of Christmas. Santa agrees to let him keep the bell, and the boy places it in his robe pocket. As the children board to go home, the boy discovers that he has lost the bell through a hole in his pocket. The boy arrives home, and the conductor wishes him a Merry Christmas. He awakens on Christmas morning to find a present containing the lost bell with a note from Santa. He and his younger sister, Sarah, joyfully ring the bell, but their parents do not hear it because they do not believe in Santa. The boy reflects on his friends and sister, eventually growing deaf to the bell over the years as their belief faded. However, despite the fact that he is now an adult, the bell still rings for him as it does for all who truly believe. Getting into the trivia for this one. The film is listed in the 2006 Guinness Book of World Records as the first all-digital capture film where all acted parts were done in digital capture, a.k.a. motion capture. Mm -hmm. In the North Pole City Communications Room, an elf describing the bad little boy in New Jersey named Stephen, who's terrorizing his two little sisters. 
This line is a nod to Robert Zemeckis' friend and mentor, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg grew up in New Jersey mm-hmm. and has admitted many times that he frequently terrorized his two younger sisters. Yep. Before Hero Boy boards the Polar Express, the clock says it's 1155. Yep. The time does not change until the first gift of Christmas is given yep. near the end of the film. However, for a little bit of fun, side trivia. When uh, they're riding in the sack and the Oda boy says, of course it's 1155. It's been 1155 for the past hour. If you actually pause the film, you'll see that the film is nearly at an hour in length at that point. Interesting. Good timing. Good I have timing. no idea if that was intended, but I like that you went there. Uh, when the engineer and fireman are trying to grab the pin necessary for the train's throttle, a working flux capacitor is visible in the background. Yes! It's a reference to Back to the Future and could mean the Polar Express is actually a functioning time machine. Or it could have been directed by Robert Zemeckis. How do you know that's not the same train that uh, Doc Brown was was, fl- was flying around in at the end of Back to the Future 3? Despite uh, the fact it didn't look like that train. No, it didn't. <laughs> it did not. An engine, I should say. Yes. Three different actors play the role of Hero Boy. Tom Hanks is the motion capture and adult voice. Mm-hmm. Daryl Sabara does the voice acting. And Josh Hutcherson does additional motion capturing. Hmm. Hero Boy's real name is never mentioned. However, according to books containing information about the Polar Express, including art books and fact books, Hero Boy's name is is Chris. Chris, okay. After the author's novel, Chris Van Allsburg. Hmm. The film used 3D motion capture techniques to digitally record the actors' physical performances before skinning them with their animated forms. The children's roles were acted by adults using oversized props to get the movement right. Hmm. Makes sense. A close examination of the ticket numbers reveals they all contain the numbers 1225. Paray Marquette number 1225 was used as a model for the Polar Express locomotive. 1225 is a reference to the date of Christmas, December 25th. The soldier doll that Hero Boy plays with on Christmas morning is part of the recycled toy program that the conductor mentions. The same toy appears as a puppet in the background of the scene with a Scrooge puppet. Mm -hmm. The address spoken by the conductor early in the film, 11344 Edbrook, is the real address of Robert Zemeckis' childhood house. The house is in a Southside Chicago neighborhood called Roseland. Uh, At the end, Sam's reflection is faintly visible in the sleigh bell for a few seconds, in close-up, after Hero Boy places the bell on the table. It is very hard to see, but I did notice it. Billy is the only person aboard the Polar Express, passenger, or crew member who is identified by name. Mm -hmm. Several reviews called the motion capture animation creepy. In the 1978 book Robots, Fact, Fiction, and Prediction, Masahiro Mori coined the term Uncanny Valley to describe the revulsion that people can feel when they encounter a robot that looks human enough, but is not clearly alive. Which is where that term comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the hero boy places the bell in his pocket, the torn pocket, a subtle sound can be heard of the bell hitting the floor of the sleigh. This is telling before the boy returns to the train, he didn't have the bell and where it was before he received it on Christmas morning. Ah. So, Yeah. What is your first like for this? My first like. 
Well, for anybody who's listened to this podcast for any duration of time, it was one of my favorite films of all time is Back to the Future. Why I made sure to mention it. Exactly. I absolutely love Because that. if I didn't, you would have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's my first like, too. So this is not Back to the Future. I know it is. I know it isn't. I know it isn't. But this scene, this scene, I, 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 I watched the scene. I'm like, this, wait a minute. This takes place in 1950. So there's not even like a DeLorean they could have put anywhere. The first movie goes back to 1955. And they are nowhere near California at any point in this movie. Anyways, but let me get to my <laughs> reference, please. Thank you very much. All right. So when Hero Boy and Hero Girl. I hate those names, by yeah, the way. It's so annoying. It's like, give them names, please. Stephen and Becky. How's Steven that? Stephen and Becky. See, look Steven how hard that was. We already know the other character. No, sorry, Chris. Chris. That's right. It's the same His Chris. name is supposed to be Chris. Chris. So Chris yes. and Becky. Chris and Becky. When that Chris is their names Becky now. Are in the uh, are in the, uh, the 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 locomotive the the what is it the front the front the of the engine train. huh? That's well, the locomotive. But yeah, yes. the loco the engine the the engine and be like be like oh here 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 and be like and so uh Chris his name Chris yes that's what we're calling him now we're calling him Chris so Chris be like he pulls the whistle and just to quote what he said. I've always wanted to do that my whole life. That's a quote from Back to the Future 3, which Doc Brown says himself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a Back to the Future reference. And then it gets better <laughs> is when that, that pin is pulled and you get this big turnaround of that the the, mm -hmm. the locomotive in the, mm -hmm. the, the operating room. Be like, you see a freaking flood capacitor. <laughs> Despite the fact there's no electricity on this, no, spot, there's not. The, in this like, engine. You see it for a fraction, like, oh my gosh, did I see what I think it's all? It was like, huh, this is so awesome. But just to me, the the uh, the, the Back to the Future nerd that I am, I I'd be like, I heard Chris say that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a Robert Zek Robert Zemeckis movie, and you have. Uh, Oh come on! Who who did the uh, the orchestra for this film? Oh, you would ask that. Um, Silver Silverson Silverson. Oh. I know Alan Silvestri Alan did Silvestri. a lot of yes. them. Yes, because of there there are so many scores throughout this entire movie that it's just like it sounds like Back to the Future, because Alan Silvestri's music is very iconic, and so I guarantee to be like, oh, play this little note here and there in this movie because it is a Robert Zemeckis movie and there are little Easter eggs throughout this entire movie that are back to the future related. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, my little heart fluttered. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I got to geek out and talk about back to the future on my podcast, which is awesome. <laughs> so that's my first, like the back to the future references, which I was like, Eek! <laughs> so what is your first, like, I love every single shot in this film that looks like it could be a painting uh, because there are so many great shots in here that they're either uh, recreating what the original picture book had, mm -hmm. which granted I have actually looked at the picture books. So I have no idea how accurate any of the shots actually are, Yeah, but the way they all, 
that they keep that aesthetic going all the way through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the background art, the art style, everything is pushing this. The only even the character designs for the most part, not the animations, mm-hmm. the character designs. There's a the difference. Yeah. Uh, they all look like they were hand painted in a way. Mm-hmm. They're still obviously 3D, but the way that they are composited, they all look like somebody painted uh, uh, painted them. Agreed. And then and that it's then printed in a storybook that you would see underneath the tree at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I really loved the artwork in, in a lot of those shots because they were just some of them were just so so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I completely agree there. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Definitely from an artistic standpoint, there, there are so many shots that it's like, it looks like a, a um, Kincaid film. Yeah. Kincaid Thomas painting. Kincaid. Yeah. Thomas Kincaid, which I know a lot of artists don't like Thomas Kincaid because he, he like later in his career, he would literally be like, do a print and do, you know, a, a, a paint gloss over it, which yeah, a lot of artists don't like Kincaid for that, but I enjoyed Thomas Kincaid's art for what it is. Definitely when they do like Godzilla in the background, that's kind of cool. Uh, See, I was debating whether to bring that joke up. Yeah, that was the best funny. way to improve a Thomas Kincaid painting is to put Godzilla in. Yeah, it. throw the you know Godzilla or the DeLorean or something like that. Something, something like that. The mystery machine pulling up to an old house. Yeah, or a TARDIS. <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah, moving on, but be like. There, there are so many scenes in this movie, like like backgrounds and animation, for the most part, is done. We'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, is absolutely incredible. Just stunning animation. And the, the, the amount of effort in 2004, mind you, when they are trying to break into a full cgi mm-hmm. with uh, motion capture and the whole bit <clears throat> yeah be like i will give them props for that because there is a lot of stuff it's like oh my gosh for well two, for 2004 at, at the time see pixar had only put out what five maybe six movies total in maybe. in that since 1995 and toy story itself took five years yeah so call it 15 years yeah uh and Toy Story had only put out four or five movies. So mm-hmm. obviously they were looking for a way to speed this process up mm-hmm. with some form of accuracy, which was the primary reason so many of the uh the non-3D animation houses mm-hmm. that were wanting to make 3D movies or animated movies were using motion capture because it looked yeah. like it was a good fast way to pull this off. But we'll get into the motion capture debacle. Yeah, we'll get, we'll later. get there when we get there. Yeah. I have a um, bad feeling we're going to keep pointing to that and we'll finally get to it. Oh, yeah. And it won't be as interesting a conversation. That is true. So, you know, spoiler alert, we're probably going to spoil a lot. Of, we're going to do a lot of deep we'll spoil our own, We'll spoil our own spoilers. Yeah, we will. But uh, I would agree with you. Be like, And that kind of goes right to my, my second like. Uh, the animation in this movie is very beautiful. And taking into consideration this was 2004, when they did this, mm-hmm. there is a lot of work they did into definitely with the, the motion capture, the full use of uh, CGI. Uh, it's very well done. In that case, there are huge problems uh, when we get into our dislikes. It's like, uh, 
Just just hang on to that. Uh, but for, oh, for reference, this was the same year Incredibles came out. That is true. And like literally was the same month. Yeah. Wow, you're not kidding. Ish. Sorry. Yeah. So be like animation so well done. Be like it it does a lot of bright, groundbreaking stuff that is very well done like visually is just eye candy. And yeah, be like Pixar came out the exact same month or Incredibles yeah. came out the exact same month. We reviewed that film already. Go so go check it out. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. and way yeah. back in season one, way back in season one, you're right. That was season one. That was the first time I caught a, a mistake that was in the in the in the movie. Real? Oh yeah, that's right. Because I found a spot where they didn't finish animating it. That's right. Yep, <laughs> yep. I remember that conversation. Season one was that a, was a trip. That was a trip. And it's going to be interesting coming up. In we're, the next we've season. got some plans. We got, got some, some plans. plans. So just hang on to your butts. We'll get there. When we get there. So, yeah, animation in the movie is very well done. It's got a lot of problems, and we'll get there when we get there. But I enjoy the animation for what it is when it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. That's my second like. What's your second like? The scene where they are, where we're following the ticket from when it oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. leaves the train until mm-hmm. uh, it finds its way back to the train and mm-hmm. it goes through this. It's very obviously inspired by the feather from the beginning of Forrest Gump. Agree. Yeah. But we see so many cool little action, like background stuff that. Mm-hmm admittedly that this sequence is a little bit of filler Mm -hmm. but this is what happens when you have to when you're trying to adapt a picture book into a 90 minute film true there was probably maybe what 15 pages so you're gonna have to add something Mm -hmm. uh so i but the whole sequence there when it when it uh as it's flying through the air and it falls there and in the in it the wolves run past it yeah, and it picked up. blows it back up. And then the bird catches it. That one bird eats it. It spits and it out. Thankfully the camera shifts down. So we don't, they didn't, we don't have to see them yeah. find a way to make this baby bird hawk yep. the loogie out. Yeah. Because they couldn't figure out how to animate it either. If we're but being the way, honest. But the way they shot it was but they shot It was they, really they good. They dropped the camera down and we just saw it come out. It was a great way to hide that. And it was very artistic uh-huh. uh, way. But but it, that whole thing where it's like, because you know the minute you saw that that ticket fly out of the train, you know it's going to find its way back to the train. It's the only way this will work. Magic is involved. Christmas magical is involved. It's going to show back up. Mm-hmm. I'll be half surprised if it doesn't fall in her lap mm-hmm. <laughs> when you get right down to yeah. it. Or fall in his lap. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not how it happens. It actually hits the heating register and nearly gets sucked into the heating register. But uh, that whole sequence, I thought, was was very, very beautiful mm. in in its animation. I got you. Uh, what's your third like? My third like... <clears throat> having faith. Okay. Having faith. I mean, like, this is, like, the, the big thing when it comes to this film is where our, 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 our main hero character, our Chris... Chris, as we're calling yeah, him. Yeah, as we're calling him, Chris. 
<clears throat> is a young man who's struggling to believe that Santa is real. Be like he's being told by the world that Santa's not real. Giving a lot of evidence. A Santa's lot of evidence real. to it. The one has to wonder why the animatronic <clears throat> is evidence because surely they're not going to capture Santa Claus and put him in a store window to pretend to give presents to people all yeah. night long. Or like the, the fact that like he has newspaper clippings of like, you know, Santa's beer being pulled down at a right. ball or something like that. And so it'd be like he, he becomes more cynical. Mm -hmm. and so it'd be like he's given this chance to go on the Polar Express and this entire time of believing is be like believing without seeing his faith. Yeah. And this entire time, be like it's it's sometimes so, the most real things are the things you can't see. Yeah, exactly. Good point. And I I I I, I always think to like um uh second Corinthians five, six, seven, and let me pull that up real fast. And of course, I don't have it up. I'm uh, making this my third like also. Okay. Because this is kind of the thought process I hit on. And literally, it was like within moments of the beginning of the mm -hmm. film, uh, I was like, oh. Because I, I it's been a while since I've seen this. I'd yeah. forgotten the whole... I knew he was debating on whether or not he believed in Santa. Mm -hmm. But I forgot that the beginning of the film, we're actually going over like, the crux of why he has doubts. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and going, huh, I know how this ends. This is actually, seems like it's going to be a good allegory. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, it's not going to be perfect because allegories no. are always going to break down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, seems like a good allegory for, for like you said, faith, they use the word belief. Yeah. But we all know the problem with belief. Yeah. Even the devil believes and fears and yeah. trembles. Exactly. Cause even yeah, it's not about believing, it's about faith. Yeah, it's about having believing something you can't see. Right. And uh the the reference I was referring to is uh 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7. Is uh so we all so we are all always of of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. So that is very common. That's very, very, very quoted. Yeah. Now, granted, contextually, it's talking about the point where we are here on earth and our desires to be with the Lord in heaven and to be with Christ. Mm -hmm. But while we are here in our in our, our fleshly homes, uh, we are to always be mindful that be like this is not our this is not right. our home, but in the movie itself is the idea that's like it's like if, if we if we took what be like if we took the allegory even further with the struggle of faith the struggle of faith the struggle of belief definitely if you're a christian if you're like you're a you know a, a born-again christian who struggles with their faith and mm -hmm. wrestles with it because there's the difference because if you have belief in Jesus it'd be like you believe Jesus Christ is your lord and savior he died for you yeah. he died for you to to take upon the sin of the world for that you can have life you can have eternal life so when it comes to be like be like if you're not if if it's a non-christian be like it's going to be like the uh like the seed sown the floor, you know seed mm -hmm. on the floor be like it's just going to be devoured and flown away be like there's there's not gonna be evidence of faith but if you're one of those seeds that hold on and you'll be like you're gonna sit there and struggle be like even the greatest evangelicals in the world greatest pastors greatest uh 
you name it, have struggled with faith, have struggled believing mm-hmm. and be like, I do. I guarantee Drew does that. We all sometimes we sit there when we doubt, we doubt and we kind of yeah. just be like, be like, is this true? Is this true? There's also a passage. Uh, I can't remember where it is, but it's a, a, a man who has a, a man who has double minded be like, so he's uh, so he, so he doubts. So his mind wonders. Are you uh, talking about uh, no, that's a different, that's a different one. Never mind. Yeah. But I was, I was looking it up earlier. I was looking up earlier this week and it kind of, it kind of parallels with that, but it's more of like you sit there and you wonder and you ponder. Um, and it's not the point where you uh, use the uh, more, what more modern thing of deconstruction, deconstructing your faith, but it's more, you sit down and you wrestle with your faith and you come to the conclusion that like, yes, I still believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and be like, you might wrestle with some of those things that's going on in life, kind of like uh, Chris or Hero Boy in our story, which I still can't believe they never gave him a name in the movie. Um, but it's that, that well, that, I mean, the books never, I don't even think they, the book even gave, I bet the book doesn't even give Billy a name, assuming Billy is in the book. Yeah. But I, I love, in I the picture lo- book, the names wouldn't be necessary. That is true. The I love there again the allegory of faith and salvation and believing because it's just that that constant if you are truly saved in Jesus Christ be like you are going to be torn here and there from the world and things things are going to get be like you're you're going to wrestle within your own mind like what be like you know what does this mean when you read something and you're going to wrestle with it. Uh, like, heck, I've I've heard my pastor say, but it's like, yeah, I struggle with my faith. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. So be like, yeah, if if you struggle with your faith, be like, you're not alone in it. Everybody does it. Be like, if if you are truly born again in Jesus, like you're going to struggle with your faith. So take heart, because there again, the world first hated Jesus. They're going to hate you as well. So just saying. So going back to this, you know, this idea of faith and belief is that. Uh, Chris struggles with that, and so that perfect allegory of faith, of if belief, is so heavy throughout this entire film, and I love that aspect of it. Is you know the idea that you struggle with something that ultimately he comes to believe that there Santa is real, mm-hmm. and uh, there again we are not in the 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 we are not in the place of telling kids to believe or not believe in Santa, but. Um, so if your kids believe in Santa, great. Let them believe it. Um, oddly enough, there are adults who still believe in Santa, which is kind of weird. Anyway. Yeah, either or. Either or. I've kind of just been letting you get it out of your get all this out of your system yeah, before exactly. I jump in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, faith. Uh, That's my third like coming out coming off of that and I know I know we said it was maybe an allegory for the salvation. salvation. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's more like uh him coming back into the fold after he's backslidden Possibly. for a while. Because all of us, I think, have also had to deal with, you know, as Christians, we've stepped away from the church for a time for one reason yeah. or another. And it took a while to get back in. Yeah. For one reason or another. Uh and he, he had stepped away long enough from his belief in Santa because he was getting older, of course, because mm-hmm. he was seeing all this evidence hitting him. It's like yeah. how much Santa wasn't oh, yeah. real. 
that uh he was pro- he was in danger of no longer believing in santa right that was the way this this thing goes which would be equivalent of us as christians being away from you know the church or out of the word you know mm-hmm. not not keeping up with our stuff as much yeah we're seeing you know the world is continually hitting us with evidence or evidence that they say is evidence yeah <laughs> that our beliefs are they're either wrong or they should be wrong. Yeah. And we're continually bombarded with that day after day after day. Or you just simply just slip into a sin and you just right. ride that, 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 but that I, coaster. But we are given that, uh, we are hit with that, th- all yeah. that evidence all the time. And so this kid gets the once in a, essentially gets the trip to heaven. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Now, granted, we won't actually ever get that trip to heaven until we've passed or we mm-hmm. get called home. Yeah. In the rapture, but whichever one comes first. Mm-hmm. But um he gets the, the chance to actually go and see. And the thing is, I I have a feeling I would be in the same boat he was if I had, you know, bed backslidden mm-hmm. to this degree. If I had a chance to go to heaven and it was a bit of a journey to get there for some reason. Yeah. And it wasn't until like the last bit that we finally got there. I have a feeling I would be doubting what was going on until finally yep. I'm there. And even then I'm debating it. Because you got to think, think about it from his point of view. Mm-hmm. As a kid, he's sitting there waiting for Santa Claus to come out. Yeah. He sees, you know, he after he gets off, gets out of the bag and gets mm-hmm. goes over with the rest of the group, he sees the reindeer come out. That should be some kind of evidence because mm-hmm. they are... The elves are have hey, hey, there's elves everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's having a hard time seeing the he's seeing the reindeer, and they're having a hard time holding the reindeer down throughout that entire North Pole sequence. Becky, mm-hmm. as we called her, Becky. and Billy can continually hear the bells. Mm-hmm. That's what they use to follow to get back out of the yeah. place. But he can't hear them to the point where when they are carrying the uh, sleigh bells, halter uh, yeah. bells to it. And they're every once in a while, you know, they're shaking them so that they can, to make the bells ring. Mm-hmm. We, cause we are listening. We are seeing all this from yeah. Chris's point of view. Mm-hmm. We can't hear them either. Yeah. Which in my mind, it's like, that is kind of sad. Yeah. That this, the magic is lost to us because we don't, has lost him because he doesn't believe. Yeah. And consequently, we're not getting to see it either. And and then, you know, the, you get the big entrance where Santa Claus comes out. And no matter what Chris does, move, wherever he moves or everything, he, his vision keeps getting blocked mm-hmm. to where he can't see Santa. Mm-hmm. And then the bell gets thrown off. And... I really loved that that as the bell was falling and the 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 Frank Sinatra Santa Claus is coming to town starts slowing down how creepy mm-hmm. and depressing. Oh yeah, yeah, that sequence was like this is the final proof that you are no longer a Santa believer yeah. or whatever the term is. Yeah, that uh, you can't hear this 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 bell is coming to you and you can't even hear it. Yeah. And he wants to hear it so bad that he finally admits, yes, I believe in Santa Claus. And then he can hear the bell ring. And then he sees in the reflection of the bell, Santa Claus walking up to him. And it's like, huh. 
if that ain't allegory, yeah. I don't know what is. Because it's not till we admit and finally mm-hmm. turn back to God that we actually get to see God again. Yeah, exactly. Because God's because we are actively turned away from him. Yeah. So it's not till, like I said, it's not till he as Chris believes in Santa Claus that he gets to partake in all this stuff again yeah. outside of because until that point he's really just a casual observer for the most yeah. part uh and then he gets to believe the rest of his life mm-hmm. whereas his sister who was being the good little santa santa believing girl mm-hmm. believed in santa the entire time he was doubting until finally she fell away but he never and and, and his parents can't hear the bell either but he can hear a uh i'm assuming all the, until he dies yeah which I'm still sitting there going, what does that mean? Is is this kid just going to believe in Santa Claus the rest of his life? Mm. Is hero is is Becky going to believe in Santa Claus the rest of her life? Yeah, I think we know no at all. We'll forget about this entire thing by the by, by the end of uh, lunch on Christmas Day. But probably because <laughs> yeah, just... I'm a know it all. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Mandark. He's Mandark. That's just who this kid is. Because the entire time I'm thinking, I really wish Dexter would show up and blow a rocket up in your face. I'd like that any minute now, please. <laughs> Can Kim Possible show up and punch this kid in the face? <laughs> please, anything. <laughs> I, I hate the exact same thing. I hate the kid. You're supposed to hate the kid. I think because <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is, you know, what kind of trade this is. This is a such and such, such and such. And it's like, Becky just told you what kind of trade it was. It's a magic train. It doesn't matter that it's a replica of this one model that you happen to know of, especially like the part where they finally get back to the, uh, the, the car mm-hmm. after they've been in the engine so long and know it all is saying, Hey, did you, you you missed all the fun? When we looked outside, it looked like we were we were on a roller coaster. I didn't say roller coaster ride, but it's like we were we were, it looked like we were riding across the lake. It was breaking up. I know it was all fake though, caused by illusions <laughs> and, and trick mirrors. It's like, will you shut oh, up, yeah. please? You are the most annoying character in this movie. I think that was your third like in your kind of a semi dislike. <laughs> Moving into dislikes, there we go. but I'm not going to start with Mandark. Uh, <laughs> Mandark, I am starting with the Uncanny Valley. Thank you. We need to get this off our chest. Oh my gosh! Uh... There is Uncanny Valley in this, but it's not as bad, I think, as everyone claims it is. Yeah. Now, granted, Uncanny Valley is a very subjective effect. Yeah. It will affect different people. Some people will see it and say it looks fine. Other people will will, will have nightmares based on some of the images in this movie, uh-huh. <laughs> based on how bad that 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 uncanny effect is. But the problem here, I I think, is not the fact that they use motion capture. It's the fact that because it's really bad on the kids. It's really only bad on the kids. Oh, the adults are fine for the most for part. For the most part, but the kids all look bad. It's because they're being motion captured by adults with oversized objects and hands meaning we are looking at what i call the sonic the hedgehog effect sure from the games Mm -hmm. they're all man they're all uh mascot characters Mm -hmm. they're all having to move at too big of the they're 
the, the objects are too big for the motion capture data, and that's yeah. what's causing most of this problem. Plus, this is still before they really had good eye tracking technology. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So the the eyes are still being hand animated in every shot, and they don't ever <laughs> animate right, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, especially Mandark. His <laughs> eyes are the worst. I don't know how they pulled that off with this one. Ki- I guess it's just because we hate this kid, <laughs> and so we're we're not able to forgive the animation on him as much as oh my gosh. say on Billy or yeah. uh, Chris or Becky for that matter. Uh-huh. Although let's face it, the elves ain't much better. Oh my gosh, the elves! Oh, oh my, gosh. my, especially Steven Tyler. Oh, oh my god! I know he had to have done that, but. He- than the motion capture for the upper half of his body because there's no way they actually got him doing motion capture on a unicycle yeah and because that looks looks it looks bad it looks bad the uncanny valley is very strong in this and it's amplified by the fact that almost every character in the movie is the wrong proportions yeah for the actor playing agreed and that is the problem here uh, because the movie is very good in any shot that does not involve a character moving, mm-hmm. which is weird to say. Yeah, if we're being honest. And granted, the adults are better than everyone else, except in the faces. Mm-hmm. But the actions of, of the kids always look like they're exaggerated too much. Yeah, agree. Because it's adults trying to act like kids with oversized stuff to so that they. I guess to help them do the motion capture better, more accurately. I, I yeah. so for the proportions, and, and I think that's where this really hits a wall. We are still, I, I, I don't want to say it's too early for them to have been using motion capture mm-hmm. because Gollum in the Lord of the Rings is motion capture, and he looks good to this day. Mm-hmm. He, that effect for him stands up in. Uh, Two Towers and Return of the King. It's a different thing in yeah. Fellowship, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, it's a different, whole different bag for that than here, where all the characters, a, all the characters are stiff. B, every character that uh, Tom Hanks did the motion capture for does the same things he does. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird that I'm complaining that the Tom Hanks mannerisms are coming out and all the actors Tom Hanks plays. But when you have seven characters who are played by Tom Hanks, that's a problem. Yeah. I still don't know how this would have worked if every character was played by Tom Hanks. Yeah. And I get the thought process because this is all supposed to be somewhat in a dream mm-hmm. that Chris is having. Yeah. But it's also not. Yeah. So... I still would have preferred more motion capture actors be used and only have Tom Hanks do Santa Claus and the conductor. Yeah. Have somebody else do Chris and, uh, and the hobo. Yeah. Tom Hanks has to play the hobo also. Cause he's, yeah. really, those are the three characters he's primarily playing in this. Yeah. Well, and the Scrooge puppet, which he did the motion capture for the puppet also. That's still weird. Agreed. that the motion is to the puppet is motion captured and not by actually motion capturing the animation of a puppet by doing the motion capture on a human and then say, Oh yeah, he's being controlled by the hobo. 
by the by the hobo Hank. Hank Hank Hobo. Which fits better? Hobo Hank or Hank Hobo? Hank Hobo. Hank Hobo. <laughs> Thanks, Hobo. Uh, it's just so weird. It's because but yeah, the uncanny valley is the biggest problem this film has, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh I think that's where what will ultimately continue to make this film look dated the longer the farther we get away from 2004. Mm. What is your first dislike? My first assuming you're dislike. not jumping off of mine. No, no, no. It'd be like my first like was actually yours, but be like you laid into that very well. You articulated very well. So I'm not going to try to step into that. That was very well done. My number one, way too much Hank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like you implied earlier, they're be like Tom to Hanks. They're again a legend, right? Art uh, actor. Be like the man can do a lot. Be like vast range. You go from mm-hmm. up or not up, but a big to like you know Toy Story, Toy Story, Castaway. Uh, I mean, it, Otter with the new movies coming out is Otter. Uh, the mid, the mid. There, there is, is the still a reason that. that when you see a t- Tom Hanks is in a movie, you either know it's going to be brilliant or it's going to be absolute garbage. Yeah, it's never anywhere in between. Yeah, but this movie just takes the cake. Toy I'd Story like, Four, notwithstanding. Yeah, because for for me going into this film, be like knowing Tom Hanks is in this film, it's like okay, he's the good doctor, and then he's the narr- he's the narrator. It's like oh, okay, mm-hmm. well that kind of makes sense. Like while he'd be the narrator. And then he's the conductor. Okay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then be like, he's, and he's the, the hobo. hobo. And then he that kind of makes sense. He makes sense that he's the hobo. And, and he's Santa Claus. And he's Santa Claus. And he's the puppet. And then he's like three other characters. I'm like, I'm like, okay, Tom, I be I understand Mr. Hanks. Be like, when you purchase the right for this movie that you could play Santa Claus in the movie, as far as I understand. I think he was always meant to play the conductor and the hobo and Santa Claus. Yeah, he was it's actually meant like I said, you said he was meant to play all of the male all of the characters in the yeah. motion capture, which is just weird. Yeah, weird. But, but it's just like I think it's a little too much. Be like if you would have like maybe it, it diversified sh- the character a little bit, like yeah. who they played, but I think it's it's a little too much because be like you be like be like the hobo. It's like, okay. This is obviously Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. When you get to Santa, it's like okay, that's interesting. That makes you start sense. to hear it. It's like that's Tom Hanks. And like every other character is Tom Hanks. Like every other character, mm-hmm. and be like it gets a little too. And they all have the same mannerisms. Exactly, the including the motion cap, the same vocal inflections, everything. It's just like. And like not even Santa sounds different, except they they put they uh, they they put a yeah. monotone on him or something. Like they that. put some kind of vocal effect on him, and plus he's doing the motion capture for Chris also. Uh huh. So he even has the mannerisms, despite the fact exactly. another kid's voicing him. It's just weird. Like yeah, heck, heck, we did a uh, for Halloween. We did a uh, Monster House, which is um again a movie done by uh uh Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis did that film as well. And uh, did much better in that one. Did much better. Agreed. But this one was, it was so much, it was so overload Tom Hanks. It's like, they're going to, I love Tom Hanks as an actor, but good night. There's way too much of him in this film. And it just gets overwhelmingly a headache. Mm-hmm. 
it's like, yeah, Tom, uh, Mr. Hanks, I get what you were trying to do. I totally get it. But it's just like, there's too much of it. That's just what I'm going to say. There's a way, be like, you're a great actor, but there's way too much of you in this movie. That's yeah, all I'm saying. I agree. So that's my number one. What's your second dislike? Mandark. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mandark. Let's get back to this kid. Oh, I God. hate this kid. <laughs> I knew I was going to hate this kid when I first heard his voice oh, back gosh. in 2005 yes. or six or whatever it was I first saw this movie. Because <laughs> as soon as I heard him, I go, you're the villain of this movie, aren't you, kid? Oh, I wish. I wish. And he's like, no. He should have been. If there was going to be a villain in here besides... What would be the uh, anti-Santa? I, th- I think it would be like, more like uh, Chris's a, non-belief. A, a Santaism? Santaism? A Santaism. Oh. <laughs> anyway, if 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 that if if just the disbelief in Santa Claus is the villain of this, if that wasn't it, it should be Mandark here or Ned or whatever you want to call the goober. Ned. Know it all. Oh my gosh! Because every here's the thing. Chris as a character is okay because mm-hmm. they, they do give him a lot of background for where he is. Agreed. Becky. Oh, uh, she's while they give her enough characterization to where it is believable that she is that type of character mm-hmm. and they give enough characterization for Billy mm-hmm. that even though he is not in half of the film. Yeah. He's still believable, and it's understandable why he is in the position he's in. Mandark needs to be punched in the face at the (laughs) beginning of the film because we have no idea why this kid's like this other than he knows everything and he doesn't want to know how to shut up. Mm. Now, granted, we've all known kids like that. Yeah. We've all, growing up, we've known that kid, and it's just more like, can you please stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guarantee probably at one point I was that kid because I was the kid be like just about stuff and just like yeah. Jacob shut up. Some of the one of Becky should have told him to be quiet. Mm-hmm. It'd been funnier if Billy told him to shut up. They should have just left him in the bag. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, completely agree. Stuff him in the bottom yeah. of the bag. <laughs> it's like you're causing more trouble than you're worth, kid. Time for you to become an elf. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Mandark is just an annoying, annoying character in this Agreed. film. Oh, and God. I've known people like him. That's the thing. But uh, yeah, that's my second dislike is that character. What's oh your gosh. second? So to kind of follow that up, I, I was like, when our our kids get trapped in the uh, they get trapped in the uh, the 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 Christmas bag. What we ultimately learned that it's a Christmas bag. I'm like, and then Mandark is Drew's calling and Mandark shows up. And it's just like, what the heck? How did these get here? It's like, oh, I was following them. It's like, how no, you weren't? How were you following them? You I mean, like, we you, never saw you. No, like he was when never did you shot. When did you get the pneumatic tube? Yeah, exactly. Never did. Like his character just pops up to be more annoying. 
I'm like, like hey, nice. you haven't heard my voice in the past 15 minutes. It's time to reintroduce me into the film. I can't find my present. All I found was a box of dirty of of underwear and socks. That's that's all you deserve. <laughs> you nerd. Nerd. <laughs> I don't mean that in the uh, pleasant terms of nerd. Dweep. As a term, I do not mean that as a term of endearment, no, like I would with many no, friends of mine. This I mean this is a. I mean this in the way the bullies mean it. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh I my hate gosh. this kid so this, much. This, this, ironically, this is two nerds talking about animated nerds and hating on another a nerd character. They, they made the character annoying oh, intentionally yeah, on purpose, and they keep bringing it back. It's like. Can we have the jock show up to take please. some of these parts, please? You didn't put a you didn't put a jock in this film, but I would. But that's the other kind of kid who would be on this trip. Uh huh. He should be that. That would be the fourth Power Ranger in this group. He'd be a Billy, but Billy's more interested. No, we already character. have Billy. He's the lonely boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's right. Billy's the lonely boy. No, th that's the thing. Uh. Becky is obviously the pink ranger. <laughs> that is true. Chris is the red ranger. True. Billy is the blue ranger. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that would make Mandark the black ranger. Except I like Zach. Who <laughs> doesn't like Zach? Uh, Which means the jock that we're imagining should be showing up in this would unless it would be would be uh the green ranger because there's not another girl to throw in here yet that is true hey i'll take another girl i want someone <laughs> besides becky I, don't get me wrong i like becky in this but i want somebody else to kind of even her out yeah agreed because there, she's there's a girl of, stuck with among the boys she doesn't think there to some degree she doesn't doesn't we never get to see her act as more than just someone hanging out with the guys yeah i kind of would like to see how she is with another girl in, in tow yeah. There are other girls on this train. Put one of them in this group. Excuse me. <laughs> oh my gosh, but especially if it knock out Mandark. <laughs> oh, Mandark. We uh, thus thou we hate thee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, this character is so annoying. And yeah, you know, like I said before, when he shows up in the bag, I'm like. How in the world did he get here? And like you said, be like, it's like he's been gone for 15 minutes. We need to bring back his annoying self in the, the show again, in the movie again. And it's just like every time he shows up, I'm like, can he shut up, please? And this thing, talking. And the thing is, he has my favorite line in there because it makes me giggle. That's what mess annoys me the most mm -hmm. is that line when, you know, they're in the bag. And they're transforming, and someone says, "Look, it's still, it's still eleven fifty-five. It says, "Of course, it's eleven fifty-five. It's been eleven fifty-five for the past hour." Pause. Oh, it's been an, the movie's an hour. Been an hour. Moving on. Hit play. We've got nothing but time. We got time to kill. It's like you're not wrong because we have. There's been a lot of filler in this film so far. Yes, there is a lot of filler, which is a fine. <laughs> but it's like you've got my favorite line. I still hate you. <laughs> Oh gosh, yes, yes, I agree. Mandark is worst character in this movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Completely agree. 
so going into my second dislike. Oh, I thought that was your second. No, 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 no. I just, I mean, like, I like where you're going. It'd be like, yes, Mandark is worst character in this movie. Completely agreed. I did not like this character at all. That wasn't even in my radar of like dislikes, but I liked how you went with that. So I just ran with it. No, my second dislike is the cringe of this movie. Oh my gosh. What, like, I, what am are I you to? are you saying it's so sweet that you can feel your teeth rotting kind of it's i'm that talking kind of about cringe? character expressions oh we're still going we're going back into uncanny valley territory yeah, uncanny gotcha. valley stuff gotcha. oh my gosh yeah because there's a lot of shots where it's like i think the i think your motion capture program glitched here guys yeah because it's like any like anytime a character like you get in a character space it's like oh my gosh like, okay Back up, back up. I can't get away from no. this. Well, as a reviewer, I can't just stop it and not watch She's staring deep again. into your soul. Yes, and it scared the living daylights out of me. Definitely when Mandark would show up. Yes, because oh his, his eyes were the worst. <laughs> Absolutely the worst. I mean, like, no, no. I mean, like, the the first time you see Becky talk, it's just like, oh that, my gosh! That first shot of her, oh where she's God. looking at Chris expectedly, yeah, and she's like, "Are you hitting on him? You're seven. Yeah, what the heck?" <laughs> but uh, or twelve. I think there's actually twelve, like 12 but still, or something. yeah, ten and eleven years old. But oh it's like my it's a gosh. little early for you to become aroused, isn't it? <laughs> Moving along, <laughs> it's like Moving I, right along. <laughs> She does. She, like she does look at him like he's a tasty treat. Oh yes, moving along, moving along, moving along. Oh my god, he looks yummy. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> In Christian love, shut up. I really was referring to not what was like, he, like she's going to eat him. Literally. I know. I know. That's I literally know. where I'm thinking. Yes, it's I just know. The, it's just after I said that other thing, it does sound like I meant something else. Yes. Anyways, moving right along. <laughs> As Kermit the, uh, the, the moment in search of good right times along. and good news. Oh, good gosh. friends you can't lose. This could become a habit. <laughs> oh my gosh! But like, yeah, like the the character recognition system in this movie <laughs> is oh my gosh! <laughs> like, like every time like a, a a child character would be like look and be like look around or say something or like point. Yes. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is cringy. It's like, it's like, uh, where the cheese, cheese grater is going in the back of my head. It just scrapes. It's like, ah, it, it's, it's kind of like a coworker who loves to poke you the entire time. And it's irritating beyond belief. Thanks, Michael. Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, but no, I have a coworker. Like he gets hyper. All he does is poke, 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 poke the entire time. This is what the animation facial recognition system in this movie feels like. It's like poke how ugly I am, poke how ugly I am. It's like oh my gosh, get away from me! It's almost it's like, like get they, away from thee. It's almost like they didn't rig it correctly. Exactly. It's like oh my gosh, they, they got it very close, but they didn't quite get it there. Yeah, because like w when we first meet Chris, I'm like, you know what, this is not bad. Yeah, like when he's sleeping, he turns around, he's, he's just more like he's looking like, at the at the newspaper clippings uh -huh. and the thing about the North Pole and the encyclopedia. Yeah, it's like yeah, this looks good. And then you get on the tra train, it's like Ugh. yeah, okay, 
Uncanny Valley issue. We big time. The Uncanny Valley was in the train. Okay. Uh-huh. But oh my gosh. Now, I will say, granted, uh, Chris does not fall into that Uncanny Valley that much. Yeah, in some cases. Becky yeah. does a fairly decent job of only being like on the edge of the Uncanny Valley. Ugh. Billy, eh. uh, he's okay. I don't think his actor was very expressive so i don't know if it worked very well for him i, I guess it may be the direction of the uh, director maybe but mandark oh and like all the other kids and all oh the other kids it's gosh. like oh my word now, again, as, as mandark a, worst character mandark <laughs> is the worst mandark doesn't get any niceties in this no he had he we hate his character and he wasn't he his character was rigged the worst in the motion mm-hmm. capture agreed and about the only thing that's good about it is they did get eddie Deason. And Eddie Deason is the character you get for all your nerd, your geeky roles, mm-hmm. which agreed Bef- before uh, Al- is Alan Parsons plays uh, uh, not Leonard. Um, the, the the guy on Yeldon? Big Bang Theory. They're going to use the wrong person. Never mind. Sheldon. Sheldon. I said that earlier. I, you probably didn't. I missed it. Probably. But he Eddie Deason was the guy you got before Sheldon, and I still think LD, L, uh, Eddie Deason does a much better job. Yeah. But yeah, but the facial caption system in this movie just like ugh, definitely you get around the kids and like sometimes with Tom Hanks's character character some of his yeah oh my gosh I, the worst one actually is the marionette yes because oh. it's the most exaggerated yeah. Uh, character design and it really doesn't fit with the motion capture and they're understanding but like they want to try to express the characters the best they can yeah with and i the get that they have it's 2004 but oh my gosh it just doesn't it, it work a lot of times. really quick cool. and it's the mannequin of it it's the, the mascot effect i yeah. want to call it mannequin but it's mascot mm-hmm. is that mascot effect because it's the characters are are not closely enough connected to their character designs yeah for that to work at this time mm-hmm. granted nowadays you have a much better job of putting like a different character design on motion capture but even then you don't use motion capture nowadays for what they yeah. were trying to do with them because it just motion capture does not work for a lot of stuff yeah. and they were experimenting at the time they'll and i think robert zemeckis will even do this when he does the uh, his version of christmas carol that's right. Which also I have not watched, but I've heard it's got a lot of uh, uncanny valley, uncanny issues. valley issues too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, cringe factor. What's your third? My third dislike for this film is all of the filler. Oh yes, here we go. There's some beautiful shots that take place during the filler segments. I grant you. But uh, a lot of the times, it's like, can we move along? This is obviously not where the plot is. Mm -hmm. We have gone off on a spur, if you will, Mm -hmm. to use a railroad term. Mm -hmm. We've gone off on a spur away from the story. And I know we're going to come back to story, but it feels like you forgot where what the story was. Now, I like I said, I get it. This was a probably a 15 page a uh, picture book mm-hmm. not a lot of story in those to begin with. right uh and so i give it a little bit of props for that i understand why they had to stretch it out but 
the it's the the filler that was on the train was a lot more bearable because it did feel like we were moving along. Pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. It always felt like we were making progress. The minute we get to the North Pole, yep, that's where the filler gets bad. Yeah, exactly. The entire trip through Santa's workshop. Mm -hmm. I wish we'd have skipped. Yeah, agreed. There is the the part there where they're falling through the slide th stuff. Mm -hmm. Billy's holding onto his present. Don't get me wrong. I thought that looked did look somewhat cool. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, most of the rest and, and the pneumatic tube sequence you think would be cool, but the way they animated it, you don't get to see anything. Yeah. They, it makes the whole thing seem like, why did we go on this part of the trip? Mm -hmm. We didn't need this part. Uh huh. Y'all should have just, the minute Billy decided not to go with them was where the filler really started because yeah. Billy's going to end up there anyway. He has to. It's part of the story. This is the year he's going to finally get to celebrate Christmas. Of course. Mm -hmm. That's how the story works. So he's going to get to see Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. But why? Oh, why? Oh, why do we have to go on this breakneck speed thing down through this empty city mm -hmm. into, Very an, empty. into an empty warehouse and through an empty distribution area and they and the elves claim we know you were there all along it's like why didn't you get them out of there they exactly. could get they could have been killed in there and this is all pointless mm -hmm. agreed even the part where they're in the bag and the bag's not got enough altitude to clear the Christmas tree because guess what? The kids are in there. Mm -hmm. And Which you means didn't know like, they were there. Ah, but we know you're in there all the time, kid. That's what that, that last elf said. Uh-huh. It's just like, <sighs> no, you well, didn't. You didn't. Know. Santa knew, but you didn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> mm -hmm. So the whole thing is like... It's like I I recognize that the minute we, we the minute we get there is we were only forty five minutes into the movie and you've got to reach an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. I get that. Do something more interesting. Yeah, have them have to get you know have some of uh, some more elves running in the last of the thing and. Uh, they accidentally run into it and the elves panic and are like chasing them out of the warehouse and the yeah, kids and the that. kids spooked uh, are trying to run away from them. Have that be. And, and then you could still do the thing where Billy finds his presence, realizes he's going to get, he's actually going to celebrate Christmas. You can even have, that's how you get Mandark back in here mm. and prove he's been following them this whole time. Mm -hmm. He's the one who alerts the, the, the elves to their presence. Of course he would. Because he would. <laughs> and then you can follow them all up and they trying to sneak out on the, in the bag. And of course the elves know they're there because, or at least the ones in the airship know they're there. And you can still do the ending of this without it feeling like, like feeling like it's empty. Yeah. And we don't really get to see much. Yeah. Granted, this is 2004. They didn't have a good way of doing very complex group shots at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I would actually say the most impressive thing in here is the group shots where 
the elves are actually blocking Chris's view of Santa Claus. Yeah, that was good. That's impressive for the time period, but that entire part from when they go in there until, you know, San, until, until we get to those scenes where, you know, we're getting Santa Claus out there and the reindeer and the bell and all yeah. that stuff. But right from the time they they, they fall they they follow the they get back on there to get Billy off to the time the kids get out of the bag all that is filler and could have been either left out or done a different way. Yeah, agreed. It should have been done a different way, but because the way they did it, it just feels like we're four kids who got lost. Sorry, we're three kids who um, got lost with a magic teleporting kid we hate who's going to magically show up in this bag. We're not going to explain how he got there. Yeah, but um, and we're getting lost in Santa's warehouse. And we're somehow going to make it out because two of us believe in Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. eh. Yeah. That last bit just could have been done better is all I'm saying. Mm. Anyway, your third little dislike. My third like, my dislike. third dislike is on the exact same derail, I'm going to say, because the third act, when they get to sent of uh, the north pole is where the third act to me falls apart mm -hmm. so when billy doesn't get out of the car and it goes to that complete shenanigans of going down the pipes and this and this and this completely derails the story and like you said it's filler it's filler that doesn't necessarily need to be there it could have been rewritten it could have been written so much better and um it's like yeah, I know they're they're trying to set up for the bell, the 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 bell set up. But I really, that. once you they get out of the bag, it's fine. At least yeah. to me, anyway. Yeah, I it's agree. still taking a good long time. But a lot of that I'm feeling is the fact that we had so much of this other filler right before it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going with it. Yeah, it's like to the point where Billy won't leave the the uh, the train car to the point where they get out of the bag. Completely derails the story. Mm -hmm. And it finally picks up again where the story should be when they, you know, Santa starts showing up in the whole bit. Now, this part of the story could have been completely rewritten and redone to more maybe like flow. And why in the world is um, Mandark? Mandark, thank you. Why, why is Mandark here? Why? Why? Because I hadn't been seen in the last 15 minutes. Exactly. We've got to keep bringing in the, 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 the annoying kid that everyone hates because we got to provide tension in this story somehow. Heck, you could do tension with just the two main characters. That's it. You could do tension with the fact that they're not supposed to be in the bag in the first place. Exactly. You don't need Mandark showing up. Exactly. Didn't mean Mandark showing up. The elves saying to be like, oh, we knew you were there in the entire time. Like Drew said, be like, then why did you let those kids go through all that peril when you knew they were there? And like like you said, be like they could have made it a chase scene. They could have done this. They could have done this. They could have done this with this story. But the third act, to me, until they get back to Santa Claus, is completely de it derails the story, and it is filler the entire time. And it's annoying as all crap. Mm -hmm. That's why I. That's why I say the third act until the the final part of the third act be like where the story actually. Back, picks back up this little intermediate area of the third act completely 
decimates the story until we get back to where the story needs to be. Right. And it is so annoying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is my third dislike. And plus Mandark showing up. It's like, really? This character again? I would have paid money if Billy would have punched him in the face. Oh, thank you. Or at least that pushed would him show the character bag. growth. <laughs> exactly. Like, let the kid go out and come out of his shell and just mm-hmm. push his stupid head back in that bag. And then, like, the elves had to drag but him at, out. At least, like at least when it's like, I think something's got a hold of me. And they put him up. I really was like, just kick him. Kick him. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Kick just him, Billy. Kick, kick him. Kick him. Kick him. <laughs> I don't even need this for character growth. You're in a perfect position. Just struggle a little bit more and, ex- and accidentally <laughs> kick him in the face. <laughs> To where he has to get a new pair of glasses for Christmas. <laughs> oh, I, I, this I, is the two nerds be, uh, being annoyed at the again, nerd character, nerd by the character. way, because we just don't like this guy. No, absolutely not. Great, the voice actor who does him is very he's, well. He's, he's great. Good, he he does he great doesn't... for that kind of character. Right, but, but this character like this... just ratchets up the twenty. It's just like, Ugh, please it's stop. Like, I think he's the character that you just love to hate in some ways. I don't like him. No, I don't like but him. But I don't think all. you're supposed to like him. So I guess it's kind of a success. Yeah, agreed. In a weird yeah. way. Yeah, bravo. Like this movie. Good job with that. We hate this character. Hope we were never supposed to like him. No. Because I honestly don't feel like if the character if that character had grown just a little bit mm-hmm. outside of you know him being told to lead after he thought it said lead. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you are a lead foot. No, he, no, she's, one, she's the one who's leading and thought it said lead. Yeah. Uh, which she goes, like a lead balloon. It's like, was that your problem this whole time? Is you thought people hated you because you were too forceful? Because you never showed that before this point. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Tangent. Because obviously those things are supposed to be what those kids were supposed to learn. Exactly. And of course, the one for Eddie Deason's character is that he's supposed to learn and he thought it said lean because his thumb was covering the R. You are an idiot, man, dark. <laughs> he says, oh, I get it. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, please go sit down. Shut up and finish the movie. Thank you yes. very much. Let's move on with our lives. Yes. At least his last sign was it really stinks that you lost your bell. I mean, really? And then he disappears. We never see him again. Anyway. <laughs> it's like to their last line, you are an annoying prick. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're on your third lot dislike, yes, and I just got I off track it's, again. It's, it's very easy to go on to a, a Mandar, Mandark tangent. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that is my third dislike. The the well, third act falls apart for the we, most part. We need to rate this film. What are yeah. you rating it? I don't know. You go rate it first. Oh, you're gonna throw me under the bus. Yes. Under, under the sled. Under the train. <laughs> under the train, yes. I'm just down there with Hank's hobo riding the train. <laughs> uh, I'm giving it a 7.5. Okay. It's a I would rate this higher if the motion capture did not was not so horrendous. Mm. It, or, and really, it's I, I say horrendous. It's not aged well. 
Yeah. That's its biggest issue. It was creepy when it came out because the technology wasn't there. And it's still creepy now. I'm and, and yeah, it's still bad now. And I don't know if you were to remake this film with the same tech, say, the motion with motion capture nowadays, if it would actually save it. Yeah. Because I don't think this is what motion capture is really designed for is mm. for animated films. There are people who do it and it works well. Don't get me wrong. Right. But the technology is better now and perhaps we'd get better performance capture especially if you don't put tom hanks in seven of the roles pardon me uh but yeah i'm giving this a 7.5 because there's just so many weird things that kind of distract from the main story of the movie i give the story this much props is that even with these distracting things it is able to strongly communicate and actually bring some christmas joy this time of year yeah uh even with all those issues so i'm not gonna say it's uh it's horrible Mm. or that you shouldn't watch it it does not it would not belong in a christmas edition of bad movie month Mm. though i know some films that would belong there this is not one of them right uh but yeah it does have some things it's just going to be a problem with it going forward especially the long the further and further we get away from 2004 and the less kids have uh, or less adults have nostalgia for this movie. I suspect in 20 years, this is going to be like the obscure, an obscure Christmas movie that Mm -hmm. some people will remember and say, have you, Hey, have you seen this weird thing? Mm -hmm. I suspect that's what it's going to be like, like, uh, uh, like Santa Claus conquers the Martians, except not as, horribly funny because it's not bad it's just not great yeah it's i have a feeling it's just going to be forgotten about and it won't hold the uh same won't have the same hold that some other christmas classics Mm. have this is what i'm trying to say understood well with my ranking because there again i wanted you to go first because i was lost the goose where i wanted to place this because there, there is parts of this movie is absolutely gorgeous. Storytelling is very well done. And then you have parts where the story falls apart. There, the uncanny Valley is cringeworthy in a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And don't get, don't get me started again on our, our most hated character ever. <laughs> you know, be like Mandark, please shut up. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, and I like your placement of seven. seven what was it? A seven point five? Yes. My oh my gosh. Uh, I'll place it as six point five because there again, it is animation wise very well done. There are like a lot of technical issues they were still having to work with. And kind of giving it that grace, almost edging it to a seven, but it still has issues. It has the the Mandark, the Mandark, right? You can call him Ned if you want. Ned, Mandark, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I'm just doing the Mandark laugh. Yeah, we got that issue. We've got the third act issue. We've got the uncanny issue issue. There again, understanding it was the time period and they were still learning. So giving it that grace. So it's kind of a, it's 
be like it's a it's a tight 6.5 that's almost a seven mm-hmm. but i can't quite give it a seven so it, it's sitting very firmly at a 6.5 for me okay and that brings us to the end of this episode mm-hmm. of for the movie portion at least next week we are going to be reviewing the right apps on here that's the wrong thing the short one the short one yeah that's next week mm-hmm. small one the small, small one, one. I, re- I misread it my bad yeah the, the small sh- one the small one uh this is a don bluth film that's right it is it's the first don bluth film mm-hmm. and it is a act it is it is not the nativity story but it takes place around that time Oh, that's right. That's right. And it's one I watched a lot as a kid, mm. though I've not around. I've never heard of it. So not around Christmas time. Yeah. So yeah, join us next week for that. In the meantime, we need to jump into some Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Space, the final frontier. are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. go back and clip that on the twitch channel exactly <laughs> you just got into that so hard uh... <laughs> all right first episode of tonight for star trek lower decks we have reflections directed by michael mullen and written by mike mckayan mm-hmm. aka the creator of star trek lower decks wrote this episode nice in this episode, Mariner and Boimler work the Starfleet recruitment booth at an alien job fair uh-huh. while Rutherford challenges himself. Yeah. Not wrong. Guest cast for this includes Carlos Alazariqui as a voice. Mm-hmm. Georgia ah. King as Petra Aberdeen and a Bajoran outpost scientist. Ooh. Phil Lamar as additional voices. Jessica McKenna as the Cerritos computer and Barnes. Carl Tart as Kayshawn and Carrie Walgreen as additional voices. Uh, this is the first episode in what I am currently calling the Alito arc. Mm. The reason for that name will become apparent later in the series. Okay. Uh, but I will mention that uh, elements of the episode's terminal provocations and no small parts are perhaps part of what's going uh, on in this particular arc. If you remember, those are the two episodes featuring the character of Badgie. Ah. 
this is a little bit of a hint of what's going on. Mm-hmm. On this episode, younger Rutherford says that he funded construction of his own engine by winning Devron races. Mm-hmm. Older Rutherford box saying that those go through the neutral zone and are illegal. The Devron system was the location of the anti-time anom- anomaly in the Next Generation series finale and was located in the neutral zone or in the scene set in the future, the former neutral zone, as the zone was abolished prior to those events. It was a time travel episode. Ah. Uh, the Delta Flyer and accompanying racing uniforms are both taken from episodes of Star Trek Voyager. As Drew is holding a... Yes, I have... A flyer. A Delta Flyer Christmas ornament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truthers suggest that Starfleet admirals are being controlled by alien butt bugs. Oh, gosh. Which Boimler dismisses as just a conspiracy mariner informs him that that actually happened a reference to the penultimate episode of the first season of star trek the next generation titled conspiracy (laughs) however the alien parasites in that episode burrowed themselves into the base of the host skulls they did not crawl in through their butts uh the cerritos previously visited tolgana 4 and envoys and boimler's first mission aboard the uss titan was to this planet in no small parts. Young Rutherford's first attempt to escape from the Cerritos is foiled by Tolgana 4's ionic field, whose existence was established in Envoys. Hmm. Tendi asks Rutherford if his nightmare was the one where he is in a new timeline where Kirk and Spock, with Kirk and Spock, where they have cinematic chemistry. This is a reference to the three Star Trek films set in the alternate reality that is better known as the Kelvin timeline. Oh, okay. Or as I prefer to call them, the Abrams verse. Mm-hmm. Starbase 80 is referenced after the first, after first being mentioned back in season one episode, uh, Terminal Provocations. Anaphasic life forms previously appeared in the Next Generation episode, Sub Rosa. Hmm. Sub Rosa was the episode where Dr. Crusher fell in love with the quote-unquote ghost of a Scottish uh, lord that somehow made it to this other planet that her mother may have also had some kind of relations with. Oh, those kind of relationships. This was a bad episode. Oh, okay. Uh, Petra Aberdeen, glamorous independent archaeologist, is reminiscent of the character Vash. Uh, Aberdeen served on the USS Victory and references... The, contra- the controversy over whether Starfleet is a military organization. Mm-hmm. Rutherford's repressed personality asks Barnes if her trill spots go all the way down. Jadzia Dask was asked a similar question by Dural in the DS9 episode, Meridian. Huh. To answer the question that is probably going through your mind, they do. I thought so. Have you but ever not seen in, a cheetah? But not in the makeup booth. Uh to generate interest in the Starfleet recruiting booth, Mariner says, prepare yourself for Warp 10 Excitement, which was the tagline for the novelization of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. She also says, discover the undiscovered country, which is a reference to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. Tindy has a pod plant with mind control pollen from Omicron Seti 3, previously encountered in the original series episode, This Side of Paradise. This is the one where Sp- when Spock gets hit by this thing, begins laughing. Oh, because he's over because his because the uh, pod plant causes him to lose control of his emotions. Oh, joy! For all Vulcan. all of his emotions. Oh, oh. including the ones probably not seen 
only being vaguely referenced in the 60s era television show. Oh, oh, gotcha. With ladies, obviously. Ah, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs> and this wasn't too far from a mock time where those same kind of tensions caused him to fight Kirk. But anyway, uh, when Mariner expressed the express, yeah. When Mariner explains the process of signing up for a Starfleet as a non-commissioned officer, she mentions Starfleet Technical Services Academy. The training facility was first mentioned in an Okudagram readout in the Next Generation episode, Eye of the Beholder. Mm -hmm. Okudagrams are the things that were put on the uh, screens on the Enterprise-D that obviously were not video, but they needed something to go there. Mm -hmm. And it was the general design of that little L-Cars interface. Yeah. And it's named after uh, Michael and Denise Okuda, who mm. did most of the designs for the show back then. Got it. Just to put that out there. Uh, Starfleet accepted Cassidy 8 Cisco's reiteration of Benjamin Cisco visiting her in a vision to explain what had happened to him and his role with the prophets of Bajor going forward. It's quite possible that the logs of Worf, Ezri Dax, Julie Mishir, and Odo, who were present then, uh, or present when Cassidy related her vision to Jake Cisco contributed to this. This is referring to when they talked about when the one of the truthers asked if the Starfleet's ever going to explain what happened to Cisco. Oh yeah, they, yeah, and they say he's working hard at the Celestial Temple, and they go, "Yeah, right," because that's not a temple; it's a wormhole with aliens living inside it. Just don't tell the Bajorans that. Yeah, you might get punched uh, by shacks. <laughs> That's right, he is one. He's a Bajoran. Uh, The items featured at the Collector's Guild booth include a painting done by Data of his cat Spot from the Next Generation episode Mm -hmm. Inheritance, a Kodiskot board that has been seen on Voyager uh, episode Infinite Infinite Regress, the Bajoran Reckoning tablet from the DS9 episode The Reckoning, a Space Fun helmet that was originally a toy that came out during the 60s by Mego Toys and was previously seen in the Lower Decks episode No Small Parts, the Stone of Gaul from the Next Generation episode Gambit Part 2, and two Data Bubble Bath mixed bottles last seen in the Lower Decks episode An Embarrassment of Duplers. Mm. The way Rutherford's younger self shows him that his memory of how they got their implant and says, remember, Mirrors the scene from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where, Kurt, where Spock used in mind mode to transfer his Katra into Leonard McCoy. Mm-hmm. The, Starfleet, the episode features six different Starfleet uniforms, the most to ever appear in a single episode. Uh, basically, it's the next generation uniform. The, uh, sorry, the original series uniforms that we see on the, uh, stand, the, the picture standee mm-hmm. thing. Uh, the next generation uniforms, the DS9 uniforms, the inner the void i'm gonna call them the voyager uniforms because the ds9 uniforms and the first con- post first contact uniforms are seen you know the the ones with the dark blue mm-hmm. thing and then of course the lower decks era uniform plus the racing uniforms from the star trek voyager episode where they race the delta flyer i don't remember which episode that was uh the computer mentions that rutherford transferred to the cerritos on starbate 56329.4 which would place it between the events of the Voyager episode Endgame, which was that series finale, and Star Trek Nemesis. Hmm. These are next to each other in the, if you're watching the episodes in chronological order, yeah. because there is no Star Trek that takes place between those. 
And that brings us to me to the end of the, tri- the trivia for this. What are your thoughts on this episode? This is an interesting episode. I love that they go deeper with Rutherford's past. And actually ex- do try to explain the implant. Yeah. And how it, it, it malfunctions because it's been malfunctioning most of the season. It's been malfunctioning since episode one. That is true. It has. So, and it, like, it starts to explain things a little bit more. Be like, who was Rutherford before the accident? Uh, or was it an accident? Was it sabotage? There again, I don't know what happens at the end of season three uh, or season two going to season. Or this is season three. This is season three. This and season I will three. go ahead and tell you that this is an accident that causes him to have to get the implant. Okay, that's what I thought, because it does imply that at the yes. end of the episode. An accident does occur in this, and it's uh, why he gets transferred away from what he was working on with them. Yeah, which there again, I'm intrigued because I don't know who these people are. I don't know their motivations behind it. So I'm going to be like Drew when it came to when we were watching Rapunzel's Tingle Adventure, and you just discover things as they happen. I do have my theory who this got this mysterious admiral captain whoever this guy is be like I've got a I've I'll be like I think I've see, I think I see him in the next episode I might be wrong I might be right maybe but we will discover that when we get there probably when we talk about the next episode probably <laughs> probably just curious if you kept up with the names I I said that's all yeah, I want to know um, you kept up with it <laughs> But I found it interesting. I found it interesting that it's uh, Rutherford gets basically locked in a coma and that his personalities have to battle out to figure out who's going to be this, the uh, the uh, the one left standing. And I, I love that there again, it gives that revelation to what happened. We don't know everything that happened. I don't. Drew does. I don't know everything that happened. Well, what happened? I will say this. There is a there is three. There is some mystery as to what was going on involving all of that. Yeah. But I found that interesting. Uh, the the point where I nearly lost it laughing so hard was the, the point of where they flipped the script is where Mariner and Boimler are trying to the recruit thing. And obviously Mariner is under the gun to get recruitment otherwise she's going to get booted not to mention act right and, act and not right. screw up or yeah. she'll get transferred to starbase 80 yeah Boimler is under no such restriction right but i, I find it where Boimler is the one who loses it when his when his uh his little tag or whatever you call that uh his rank pip his rank pit like gets thrown off and he loses his crap <laughs> and i like i'm sitting there like and he's like everybody have it <laughs> bold boimler strikes again <laughs> i love that I, I absolutely love that it's like but if you really do stop and think about it, it's like you just crapped on his rank that is the worst thing you can do to this guy that is true he will kill you <laughs> It's like, yeah, Mariner, it takes about this much to set her off. Bormler, it takes a lot. Definitely when you start talking mm-hmm. about his rank. <laughs> and then she's the one that's like, yeah, we're not really supposed to act like that. Well, that gives you the kind of self-confidence I want to join. Oh, yeah, that was even hilarious. And and the and the fact that the uh, the number one throws him in the rank, the, the brig, and uh, 
Says, when you get out of here, I'm gonna get buy you a drink. Yeah, buy you a drink because that was like, awesome. It's like, am I gonna get sent to Starbase? Are you kidding? That place is a hellhole. Oh. <laughs> that was great. I love this episode. It was so well done, and uh, you, definitely you get more Rutherford, which I'd be like, it's Rutherford. Yes, and be like, you get more Tindy a little bit. You get a little Tindy here and there. Tindy's in the next one. Yeah, Tindy's definitely in the next episode. <laughs> that was interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. Yes, but I like this episode. This was really well done. And uh, yeah, let's get into the next episode. All right, next episode. Uh, Hear All, Trust Nothing. Directed by Phil Mark Sagadraka and written by Grace Parajani. In this episode, the Cerritos crew unexpectedly spends a day on board the station Deep Space Nine. Uh, Fred Tadaskior, who voices Shax normally, mm. also in this episode is voicing Korzak, the delegate from the uh, Gamma Quadrant race. Right, right, right. Uh, Jillian Vigman plays uh, Karama Guard Number Two. Mm. Carlos Alas Alas plays Les Buenamigo. Marin Dungy plays Wendy. Lauren Lapkus plays Jennifer Schreyen. Jessica McKenna is Barnes and Dabo Girl One. Mm. Gil Ozeri is the Ferengi pit boss. Adam Pally plays Mesk. Gabrielle Ruiz plays Castro. And Tian Tran plays Anya. Special guest stars for this episode returning from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, we've got Armin Shimmerman as Quark, Nana Visitor as Colonel Kira Norris. And Morn is himself. Who? Morn. He was there. Who's Morn? I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Deep Space Nine is the second major setting to appear in the show right after Bozeman, Montana. This episode features the return to the station last seen in 2375 on the Deep Space Nine series finale, What You Leave Behind. Over six years later, Kira Norris is still in command of the station, while many of the Cerritos crew are excited to visit the famed station. Shax refers to DS9 as a tacky Cardassian fascist eyesore, referencing its ominous role in the Cardassian occupation of Vajor. Mm -hmm. uh, Nana Visitor reprises her role as of Kira Norris, marking the character's first appearance outside Deep Space Nine. Kira also last appeared in What You Leave Behind, Unlike most characters from the Next Generation era, Deep Space Nine and Voyager eras, who have reappeared in later Star Trek series, Kira still holds the same rank and position that she held during her last major appearance, being a colonel in the Bajoran militia and in command of the space station. Uh, Armin Shimmerman reprises his role as, of Quark, who is still running his bar on Deep Space Nine. Quark last appeared in the Deep Space Nine series finale, What You Leave Behind, with his appearance in this episode, Shimmerman joins the rank of actors who have portrayed the same character in four different Star Trek series, as Quark also previously appeared in the Next Generation episode Firstborn, the Voyager episode Caretaker, as well as ultimately, uh, as well as uh, an old a cameo ultimately cut from Star Trek Insurrection. Armin Shimmerman in this episode insisted on wearing his old prosthetic teeth when voicing Quark, feeling that they were essential to getting the character to sound right. Huh, makes sense. So Quark's bar on Star Trek on Deep Space Nine was intended to be the equivalent of Cheers. Mm -hmm. And in Cheers, you know, there was a number of characters. Mm -hmm. One of them that was always had the big entrance, everyone loved him, mm -hmm. was the character of Norm. Mm -hmm. 
Norm was the drunk who was always there. And yeah. so when they made Deep Space Nine and they wanted this to be kind of like Cheers, they decided to create a character that was always going to be at the bar. And they did that by spelling Norm's name backwards or reversing the N and the M. So instead of Norm, it was Morn. Morn. Morn has a lot of episodes. It's actually the subject of a couple number of Deep Space Nine episodes. Really? The joke is, and I'll and I'll get to this more here in a moment, I believe. Uh, but despite the fact that we never hear him speak on screen, he's the most talkative person in Star Trek. Anyone who gets into a conversation with him, he will talk their ears off and they will wish they had never said anything. Oh, okay. This is even referenced in Star Trek Online when you go to Deep Space Nine as Morn's at the bar in that game. And when you go and try to talk to him, the screen fades to black and it tells you how you sat there hearing him talk on and on and on. You don't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> but he kept going on about the story and you couldn't find a way to get yourself away. It was It's a funny scene. Anyway, uh, the title of the episode, Here All Trust Nothing, is the 190th Ferengi rule of acquisition. Hmm. Ferengi rules of acquisition are essentially the Ferengi uh, scriptures. Okay. They are the rules a Ferengi is supposed to live by in order to get profit. Hmm. So, and he actually mentions another one in this episode where, uh, well, he, he mentions another one at the end of the episode. I don't remember what it is. I apologize for that. Hmm. Uh, with the appearance of Visitor and Sherman, this episode marks the first return of the deep space nine characters since their series ended although previously a hologram of odo made an appearance in star trek prodigy episode kobayashi although only visible only via repurposed lines from the previous appearances as renee aubergenois had died before that all three actors also had reprised their roles in the victory is life expansion of star trek online in 2018 hmm. morn as i said earlier is sitting at his usual spot at corks bar the character played by Mark Allen Shepard in Deep Space Nine has now appeared in 96 television episodes of the Star Trek franchise, having never said a word on screen. Indirectly, the episode references, uh, uh, there are indirect references in the episode made to Elam Garrick as a tailor, who was actually a Cardassian spy and mm -hmm. a major character. Jake Sisko, Sisko's kid, who was a junior reporter. Mm -hmm. And Miles O'Brien with O'Brien's dartboard, who was also on that character was also in the next generation mm -hmm. and was the character referenced in the last episode when the guy says the transporter chiefs ever end up on the bridge. And she says, well, maybe because O'Brien, when we first met him, was yeah. on the bridge <laughs> before he became transporter chief. And also, don't forget, O'Brien is the most important man in Starfleet, according to Star Trek Lower Decks in that one episode. Yeah. Uh, this episode features the return of Vice Admiral Les Buenamigo, who was introduced in the season three premiere, Grounded. Hmm. Two previously unnamed characters are named in this episode. Naguyan, the captain of the USS Vancouver, who appeared in Cupid's Errant Arrow, and Wendy, who first appeared in No Small Parts. When the Cerritos arrives at the station, Dennis McCarthy's Deep Space Nine main title theme is heard playing. Mm -hmm. The ship then proceeds to circle around Deep Space Nine as the Bajoran wormhole <laughs> opens, mirroring the opening title sequence of the series. Just keep circling. 
As Ops has seen in this episode, the command center seems to be exclusively now manned by members of the Bajoran militia. This may indicate that Starfleet has a reduced role in commanding the station, although Starfleet officers such as Mesk are still present on Deep Space Nine. It is revealed that Kira and Shaq served in the Bajoran resistance together during the occupation, occupation, frequently saving each other's lives. The Karima and the Karima ship make their first appearance in the Deep Space Nine episode Starship Down, which I believe was a first season episode. Mm. I think that was also one of their last appearances too, but I could be wrong there. Uh, The Federation's gifts to the uh, Karima are Vulcan Port, which we saw in Deep Space Nine episode The Maquis Part 1, Aldebaran Whiskey from the Next Generation episode Relics, Romulan Ale, first seen in Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan, and Galadorian Milk from the first episode of Lower Decks, Second Contact. Mm. That's the milk, the bug creature. That's right. Hat was sucking uh, <laughs> Boimler yeah. for, I oh, believe. Yeah. This episode reveals that Quark has, Quarks has, has expanded his business to a whole franchise with 21 Quarks bars established by 2381. The extension of Quark's business was previously implied through the appearance of establishments in the Star Trek Picard episode, Stardust City Rag, and the Lower Decks episodes, An Embarrassment of Duplers, and We'll Always Have Tom Paris. Kira has not forgotten her baseball terminology, first learned as a member of the Niners baseball team and their game against the Logicians in 2375 in the episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. The baseball Kira is seen holding in her office is a reference to Captain Benjamin Sisko. It is presumably the same one he left behind in the Deep Space Nine episode, What You Leave Behind. When first approaching Tendi, Mesk is shown drinking a Modella Aperitif, a layered cocktail cork prepared for Jadzia Dax in the episode Dramatis Personae. Kirk, Shax, and Rutherford are each shown drinking one at the end of the episode as well, as it is as it's a specialty of the Quark 2000 replicator. Rutherford wants, wanting to sit with his legs dangling off the upper level of the promenade is a reference to the activity that Jake Sisko and Nog used to do watching passengers of various ships disembarking from the airlocks below. Mesk was adopted by humans and raised on Earth, and all he knows of Orion culture is based on hollow novels, apparently the very bad ones. This is similar to Worf's background, he too was raised by humans on the planet Galt and on Earth, mm. and only knew what he knew of his culture from reading about it mm. for until you know he actually got to be around Klingons. Although their romantic relationship has blossomed since first first contact, Beckett Mariner and Jennifer Schreyen share their first on-screen kiss in this episode. This happens while the Cerritos visit Steve Space Nine might not be a coincidence as their very first kiss between two women in Star Trek was shown in the episode Rejoined between Jadzia Dax and Lenora Khan. Mm. It is further established that Mariner previously served on Deep Space Nine during the early to mid-2370s, which was first implied in We'll Always Have Tom Paris. Kira is shown to be friendly and familiar with Mariner, and the junior officer also still has an open bar tab with Quark from her time on the station. Or at least she did, because in addition, Mariner informs Quark that she possesses a copy of that hologram with your head on Kira's body, which was created in the Deep Space Nine episode Meridian in oh. 2371. In that episode, Kira warns Quark that if she ever catches him with a hollow imager, catches him point a hollow imager at her again, she would make him eat it. 
In this episode, Quark, Quark ends up eating the chip containing the copy of the Kira program to prevent Kira from finding out what's on it. Although Kira herself was involved in making the alterations to the original hologram, it seems that Quark is embarrassed that Kira might find out that a copy of the program still exists. Uh, Tindy explains that she used the Karama security officer's tooth to magnetically decouple the propulsion controls. It has been established in Star Trek lore that latinum is a liquid. The golden strips and bricks seen used as currency are gold-pressed latinum, meaning the valuable liquid suspended inside the block is the valuable liquid is suspended inside the blocks of worthless gold because in Star Trek gold is actually worthless because mm. it's so prevalent in the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, since the security officer's tooth appears gold, it must have had a small amount of latinum suspended within it. This may have been done as a status symbol, though it is not explained why a a caraman who hails from the Gamma Quadrant would use an Alpha Quadrant currency as a, as a status symbol. Hmm. Which brings me to the end of the trivia for this. What are your thoughts on this episode? Oh, Tindy. Tindy, 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 Tindy. Because the idea that Tindy was descended from a pirate clan was yeah. for, was referenced in uh, a previous episode yeah. where her and uh, Mariner go on a girl's trip uh-huh. to another planet and they run into a bunch of Orions or they actually go to a planet that she may have some connections to and she apparently is still has a status among that tri- that group of uh, Orions because yeah. they prefer to her something. She tells them to shut up, <laughs> and uh, she definitely still has her skills as we see in this episode. Yes, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like definitely with the other Orion is they're like, oh, I, just, I was raised on I was raised on Earth to be like I knew nothing about it except for bad you know from bad novels the ones with naked women on the cover yeah it's like of course that's what you would learn it from of course orion but slave girls like when, are a thing in this when, universe when, yeah when she goes full orion and just like just goes to town <laughs> it's like oh my gosh that's amazing and then you get boimler oh my gosh boimler with his little his little purse it is a clutch and it's feeling empty. I'm going all in. Brad Boimler is playing Dabo and he wins so much. And he wins so the, much money. The end of it where it's like, the, why take your dirt, that dirty gold press latinum with you when you could get a gift card for double the price to spend at our gift shop? That's cool because we don't actually use money in the Federation. What? what? It's like, you should know that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was great. Although I do need to get off on a small rant, if I may. Okay. I still believe the Federation uses money. Yeah, I agree. They do. They have to. It's just, it's not the current, it's not gold press latinum. So, of course, quote unquote, Bormler does not have money. But a lot of people are still of the thought that they don't have money. And the biggest, uh, I, I think I may have gone off on this rant before. You have. So I won't go too far into it. But I still believe there's money involved here. And so, yeah, Boimler probably doesn't even think about money because it's very obvious that Boimler probably has the same vast uh, resources mm-hmm. as Chateau Picard mm-hmm. with his raisin farm. Yeah. Apparently, grapes make you a lot of money in the Federation. Apparently. In one form or another. 
Yeah, what was it? Well, is it grapes or raisins that uh, what do you think raisins with? are? Yeah, they're dried grapes. <laughs> that is true. I was just asking. It was ra- it was a raisin it's farm. Raisin, that's what I thought. Technically, uh Picard's is a winery, mm-hmm. but they're both vineyards. <laughs> that is so true. Uh, I you know, kind of going back to that episode, it was more like like all these women are just like hating on and boiler. Still people on the on the Cerritos. It's like I think Boimler is cute. I, I, I think he's hot. Is he? Is he actually? He actually is. His hair is actually that color. Does he dye it? It's like a Mariner. Shut them up, <laughs> please. Please shut them up. <laughs> I don't want to think about Boimler being sexy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh! The, the, that that that's that. Oh my gosh! Oh, that whole sequence there in oh. the ship. I, I, here's the thing: the actress who plays Mariner. Uh huh. She was mad at the writer of this episode. Really? Because she's a big Deep Space Nine fan. And so the one time they get to go to Deep Space Nine, she ends up having to stay on the ship because the story demands it. And the writer had to say, this is a show. We have to write stories. And we need to have your character have moments with Jennifer and her friends. But because she did express that difficulty, that's why they did put Mariner in the last. Uh, they did rewrite the ending so Mariner could get to be on Deep Space Nine at least for a little bit. Yeah, agreed. Like it was, it was a good episode there again. Uh, uh, Mariner being Mariner, it's like, oh, I'm trying to play nice, and then it's just, like, oh, just be you, and it's like, oh, you're like, just I've, been, I've been looking forward to you kicking, uh, tearing these guys a new one all week. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> and it's just like my gosh i was like scared of her no it's just like yeah i agree with you and there again be like like watching this episode be like there again i am not the biggest fan of mariner i never have right and uh like i understand why she's there i understand why she gets away with everything and i understand probably by the end of season three she's out of it she's out of everything i'm 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 taking i'm not talking about the end of season three yeah I'm I'm making a I'm thinking a mass uh, prediction that Mariner is at a Starfleet off the Cerritos, and then I'm 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 only estimating that probably season four it's like she's probably run off and goes hangs out with that um, that uh, I'm actually yeah I I see what you're saying I'm not going to say anything yeah so that's my assumption. And then my assumption is that everybody like, oh, we miss Mariner. We got to get Mariner back. I'm like, just let her go. Please just let her go. I know she's the main character of the show, but I'm like, come on. We have so much better characters here than Mariner who gets away with everything. And she causes all the problems. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not I'm, saying anything. Oh, I know you're not. I know you're not, but you're implying a lot of things. <laughs> I've implied a lot tonight that I'm you hoping impl- you haven't thought too hard about. Probably not. Probably not. My, Especially but, about a couple other characters. Yes. 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 But it's I'd be like it's it's very telegraphed to be like yeah she's gonna kick off the kicked out of Starfleet kicked off the ship and she's gonna go do something and then season three it's gonna be like oh we miss Mariner season four season four whatever and then it's it's gonna be like search for Spock but instead we search for Mariner. I'm like actually if we're following the logos it will be the voyage home. 
because the search that's for, right would be because the, the search home. for spock that's is right. kind of that's this right. season right. because right. of the mm-hmm. the the logos and plus we are we did deal with more with rutherford learning who he was and that does that seem to true. be a central plot point for this season yes it is and that that's going to be interesting be like, i've got an idea maybe who the the desperately villain who did it i have an idea i'm gonna hold i'm gonna hold off on my thoughts uh for now okay but um yeah i'm, I'm oh, looking- i i did forget to mention this is the second episode of the alito arc second episode that's all i'm gonna say okay got it i did forget to mention that but this i would categorize this as the second episode yeah I, i'm i'm betting so certain characters introduced again and it's just like hmm i wonder who this guy is huh i wonder who hmm. uh, i'm just gonna say when i was when i originally watched this season mm-hmm. i did not realize a certain character was in it as much as they are ah okay that's all i'm saying okay so I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was more there again. I think where episode season four is going to go, it's going to be like everybody misses Mariner. Mariner is off doing some kind of adventure and getting into trouble with it. Like she normally does. And then it's like, everybody like, Oh, we miss Mariner. And then you have all these great characters are up in great arcs. It's like, we got to go find Mariner and bring her back. I would say Mariner growing up is is the central plot of the series. I agree with you. I agree. So her, I think her character growth in here, where she's been forced, she's forcing herself mm-hmm. to stay in line. I think is very. Uh, there's a lot of character growth for her. I as agree a with you. I agree with you there. I agree. Be like the character has grown, but it's just more. Be like, I'm, I'm wondering by the end of the series. I'm wondering if if she's grown enough obviously be like obviously it's kind of foreshadowing that she's getting kicked off Cerritos and obviously she's getting kicked out of uh, Starfleet and I'm more like it's okay how does that happen if we've got character growth but at the same time we know the projection where this character is going I'm not telling oh I know I just did I did double check when a when I when certain episodes are because I was curious how far we were away from certain events but what I was thinking of is going to be on the last week we review and on the next one. So gotcha. Cause we only got two more season, two more episodes of this, uh, of this TAS review. Mm-hmm. And then we get into X-Men, which means I get to make another theme song. Yep. But anyway, anyways, enjoy the episode. Uh, I am looking forward to see what happens next what 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 uh what transpires to the end of season three Mm -hmm. and uh do we know when season four is going to pop up end of next year end of next year okay 2023 i believe that's what i remembered saying i think it's like december of next year is when the that is but uh my thoughts on this episode yeah go ahead this is a deep space nine episode somehow I don't just mean it takes place on Deep Space Nine. It's like they knew they were going to be on Deep Space Nine, so they kind of wrote it like a Deep Space Nine episode. Of course. It would be. Uh, the return to Deep Space Nine with the look of everything, the sound effects. Because uh, re- DS9 has always had its own sound effects because mm-hmm. it's a different, it's not using, the, the, the station is not Federation-based for mm-hmm. the most part. It is Cardassian. 
in its design. So a lot of the Cardassian, the the sounds of the doors mm-hmm. are different, and a lot of the other tech. The sound of the Dabo table brought back uh, nostalgia for mm-hmm. me, believe it or not. Uh, but the look of everything, everything was immaculately Im- immaculately mm-hmm. recreated that we got to see. I, I mean, admittedly, the only uh eras the only areas of deep space sound we got to see was a quick shot of the command bridge the the, of ops along with uh cisco's old office that's now kira's office Mm -hmm. and so the minute i saw that baseball i I started pick up that baseball i went oh he's just right over there it's not really deal uh uh of course we get to see quarks uh that that meeting room is one that uh, they look like the same. They base it on the same set where most of the uh, war council for the dominion war took place in on deep mm-hmm. space nine. Cause that's where a lot of the major fleets met during the show mm-hmm. was on deep space nine for that for the war. Uh, so it looked like that set, which makes sense. Uh, the corridors look like they came straight out of deep space and they put so much more work into this episode than they've had to put into so many other episodes mm-hmm. to be to make it look and feel like deep space nine the only thing they did weird is they had an establishing shot of a sign for quarks mm. that was not in the show that shot of the of quark of, of the quark sign there mm-hmm. above the bar that was never shown in the show mm. And I doubt that sh- that sign was even there in the show. I'm sure that was built in after Cork uh, had a few uh, franchises under his belt. Mm-hmm. Though I would say it's not needed, if we're yeah. being honest, because it's the original Corks. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of the, I think the only the fact that Cork you could I could tell by listening that Cork was that Armin Shimmerman was wearing the prosthetic mm-hmm. because he does sound different in, with the Ferengi teeth in than. Yeah. Uh, when you hear him and other things, even though he's essentially using his regular voice, mm-hmm. uh, I was like it, that it's, it, he sounded just like he did on Deuce Sand. Kira's gotten a little older. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's gotten a little bit of a rasp in her voice mm-hmm. since uh, the end of the dominion war, but I, it still felt, it still felt, uh, she still seemed like a good character. Uh, there's a lot of little things that, add up to making this episode great in terms of what they were doing on deep space on this was a great throwback to that season and the the tendy storyline is just made it all the much better mm-hmm. <laughs> because i love seeing tendy getting to be the pirate queen Agreed. i'm assuming she actually is Agreed. i'm assuming she's actually the queen of an entire empire and she has run away and she's run away to join starfleet because she doesn't actually want to run it or is at least the princess and maybe at the end of everything she's going to have to quit starfleet to take her spot yeah among uh, amongst the queen and become queen of the orion pirates or something <laughs> And she's gonna have to, because she. Cause, uh, that's the thing. She's still. I don't. I don't. She doesn't really accept that part of herself. Mm-hmm. That's why she ran away to Starfleet in the first place. Mm. I think. Um, so that whole part where they, uh, where, where she causes the ship to stop right at the mouth of the wormhole, mm. and it's, and the tractor beam was a Cardassian tractor beam. That's like that's a weird thing I know to gush about, but it was an orange tractor beam. 
every other tractor beam we've seen on this show has been blue mm -hmm. but this was the orange one it's like yes thank you you're following the what it's supposed to look like you've done your homework because i've seen so many so many shows that are part of these things where they try to do flashbacks older stuff they just don't put the care in star trek has sometimes not put the care in especially yeah. when they're trying to reimagine what used to be because who wants to see the 60s television set that's like we did in all the other episodes of star trek where they reshowed the 60s television set in the 90s <laughs> but anyway um they just were it, it really despite the fact it was animated mm -hmm. it felt like a deep space nine episode it felt like they were out on deep space nine the from the second they come out of warp and you see the station i was like ah oh, i'm home <laughs> i'm where i was for seven years between 1993 and 1999 every wednesday night or really Thursday, because we had to record it because I was at church and we'd watch it the next day and right. we were eating dinner, but beside the point. <laughs> and there was very few of those episodes I missed, and the few I did were stuff that I didn't need to be seeing at that age. Mm. I'll say it that way. But this the this put so much care into this, and I love all the little comebacks. This was just the most fun episode for me. And it helps that it's actually a great episode in general, because you you didn't know half the stuff I've talked about. Exactly. With Deuce Sun, and you enjoyed this episode. So I like how it's a good episode. It, it it fits well and the, with the attention to detail, and you don't have to know Deep Space Nine to get the episode. So yeah, I, I really did enjoy this episode. I am kind of hoping we'll get to see more like classic hero ships going forward. Mm. Uh. I, the Enterprise E is out there somewhere at this point because I don't think Picard has stepped down from command of the ship yet. Mm. But I could be wrong on that because I don't remember exactly when he would leave, when he accept the Admiralty to go start heading up the Save the Romulans plan for to get them off before it exploded for Star Trek 2009 to happen. Mm. But I... I this was just a great fun little episode and i love how cork got hoisted by his own petard yet again yeah <laughs> i enjoy i enjoyed that part there again <laughs> not knowing a whole lot about deep space sign as a show i thought it was funny that be like be like this uh what was the alien species that kidnapped cork the karimin i think yeah karimin be like they get they I don't kidnap him yeah under be like we have the like oh my gosh they kidnap cork and we get this whole chase scene and then they they break it down. It's like, oh, Quark actually stole technology from this from from this alien species and to, to make his and I suspect it was before the Dominion War when he stole it. This Quark's two thousand replicator thing though did never showed up on the show. It, yeah. So where he got it, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm sure he did get this technology from somewhere, and probably it's something Rom cooked up his brother. Yeah who would not show up in the show because currently he's grand Nagus of the Ferengi Alliance, mm. the head honcho mm. who the, the Ferengi who did not have the lobes for business by his own, uh, admission, which is probably why <laughs> it's probably why that Ferengi staff was in the last episode that, uh, the, the archaeologist stole because he lost it because not because rom would lose that <laughs> sorry that's a weird thing i just went off on but um 
it's a I love how they they were I love the the relationships we saw between Shax and Kira. Mm-hmm. That was great and I I loved how Quark really did seem like his old self and falling into the same troubles he's he had in the show cuz he's not an idiot in the show, he's yeah. just an opportunist. Mm-hmm. And he had an opportunity to use this technology that was probably been over there from the last time they traded that he couldn't get in touch with them because the dominion war was going on. And this, cause it may sound like this is the first time those people have been back since that point. Yeah. So, which is roughly seven, eight years, I think from the end of deep space nine in universe to, uh, this episode, yeah. I think seven, eight years. So yeah. Anyway. Gotcha. So yeah, that brings us, I think to the end of this episode. I think so. Uh, next week, the, uh TAS episode the Lower Decks episodes we'll be reviewing is a mathematically perfect redemption hmm. featuring the return of Peanut Hamper. Peanut Hamper. She was last seen in uh her only other episode actually was uh, No Small Parts. Okay. She was the little android that Tendy was supposed to show around who bailed on them at the last minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll remember because they'll show that last scene oh, like okay. at the beginning of this next got episode. It, got it, got it. In fact, this episode next episode does not have the standard star trek lower decks opening hmm. but the other episode we're rev- we'll be reviewing next week is crisis point two paradoxus paradoxus hmm. a sequel to crisis point the rise of veritas from the first episode season oh the episode where they made fun of all the star trek movies yeah Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. This now they have to make a sequel and the sequels are never as good. True. Except generally the even numbered movies in Star Trek are better than the odd numbered ones till you get to uh the Abrams verse and then it's backwards. Beside the point. Join us next week for that plus our look at a, the small one and uh yeah. Uh in the meantime though this has been Drew This is Jacob. And we'll catch you in the next frame. You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox to Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterboxed page at GGeorge759. His Twitter at GGeorge759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at The Cellcast Podcast. On Twitch at The Cellcast Gaming. On YouTube at Cellcast. On Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts. Google Play Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L.
okay, we just got be like deep face nine. We're almost 15 minutes. It's been three hours, man. Like, why did you have to go play that game for three hours, man? Come on. What are you talking about? It's only 11.55. It's been 11.55 for the past hour. Oh, hours. my gosh. Time to delay- 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 What's going on? We got all the time in the world. We got time to kill. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 